Hello and welcome to Media May, the show in which we year by year explore the movies, music, and TV that most invaded our lives. I'm your host, always misunderstood, Rod, and I'm joined by she who will be loved, Jess. <laughs> very good, very nice. <laughs> Hi, welcome to Media Made. We are a show that talks about media <laughs> and how it's made. You know that show growing up, how it's made, where they showed you how things are made. That's basically our show. It's like, it's like you know maybe a fifth of what our show's about. <laughs> it's about how how media made us. Oh, that's true. We are the items being made, kids. Yep. So the media we talk about, movies, music, and TV. Today it's a music episode. So if you're new to the show, what we've done is we've looked at a list of every album released in the year 2002 mm-hmm. and we've decided which one each of us has listened to the most in our lives mm-hmm. and uh, we're finally getting into when jess's like music taste is actually like started well i guess you know nickelback was the thing we yeah. talked about nickelback in our last music yeah. episode so. yeah so the the 2000s is when i started to be like ah i like it i like a vibe like- <laughs> my music is going to start sounding very similar <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Over the next few years. She found the rock music she enjoys. Yeah. That to, pop rock. Up until now, it's been a lot of R&B and stuff. Yeah. Stuff that was molded by my family. And pop. Yeah. Yep. Now it's now you've, you've found your niche. Oh, yeah. And we, we've we've discovered my niche. Long fi- ago. <laughs> yeah, like 15 years ago. And it was in sync. No, it wasn't. Uh, we're going to stay right in that niche <laughs> today with my album of 2002. By your second favorite band. My favorite band. What <laughs> album is that? Released January 29th, 2002, right at the beginning of the year. Mm. The first double album of this respected progressive heavy metal band. That is Six Degrees of Inner Turbulence by Dream Theater. And the crowd goes wild. Doesn't exactly sound like heavy metal, does it? <laughs> Sounds more like the beginning to a Disney film. Uh, yeah, I could see that. A lot of orchestra, a lot of mm. big, big band sound. Orchestra was really big back then in rock it, music. It was not. <laughs> no, so this is this is not representative of, of rock music of the day. Even though there will be some songs that are, mm-hmm. and I'll bring those up. But uh, yeah, Dream Theater, my favorite band. We've talked. Pretty much every album they released up until now. Yeah. What has it been, like, seven? 89, 92, 94, 97, 99. We've talked five. All this right. Is this six. is six. That makes sense. Well, I, was, I, I shouldn't even have to guess that because <laughs> Six Degrees of Inner Turbulence is their sixth album. Ah. Get it? Six. Yeah. yeah. Good job. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Dream Theater, if you, if you haven't listened to any of those other music episodes... Uh, Dream Theater is a progressive metal band, meaning mm. they are very, uh, they, they they focus more on musicality. They focus mm-hmm. more on like the the technical aspects of music. You know, weird time signatures, very long songs, uh, very complex organizations. This is not your pop, this is not pop music. Mm-hmm. This is not pop rock. Okay, like another band we might talk about today. Excuse you. I'm just saying that this is as as hard as it gets as far as you know music goes. Like metal music goes, this is like some of the most uh, niche. Yeah. I was thinking like probably pop music is more like poetry, What whereas progressive uh, is like novellas in in length. <laughs> I don't know. This is like this is like a 
like a epic beat poet song or something. You know, I mean, beat poem. Novella. I'm gonna stick with it. It's it's got movements to change moods. It's an avant garde novel. Way yeah. longer. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, a avant garde uh, postmodern novel. Oh my gosh. Friggin' post post grunge is your Nicholas Sparks novel, whereas uh, Dream Theater is your is your James Joyce. Oh dear. Yeah. I don't. I don't like that. I'm not reading that. <laughs> so anyway, uh, interesting thing about Six Degrees of Inner Turbulence, this album we're going to talk about today. It is the first Dream Theater album I listened to start to finish. Oh. I've told this story so- kind of, but I've been saving it till now. Okay. All right. So I am a junior in high school. Mm-hmm. It's 2008. Uh, the, the video game Rock Band 2 is released, and I got it pretty early. We're playing it. It has a song called Panic Attack by Dream Theater on it. Mm-hmm. I thought that song rocked. It was cool. <laughs> had a lot of chorus, like a... Uh, uh, Choral uh, uh, singing sounds, you know, very gothic. It sounded mm-hmm. neat. Now, it kind of sounded like Muse. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I like this. I'm going to look them up. And I go to their Wikipedia article. And, you know, that usually Wikipedia, they have a big introduction, kind of a, you know, general gist of what that band is, yeah. you know, their accolades, their uh, eccentricities, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And they mention in that introduction that Dream Theater is known for long compositions. Including their longest, the forty, the forty-two minute long, six degrees of inner turbulence title track. I saw a forty-two minute song and I said, "I need that in my life." No. <laughs> Why so, did you do this to future wife? <laughs> I listened. Like I'm pretty sure that like I listened to it all on YouTube. You know, as mm. it go. Uh, and the thing of it, 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 six degrees of inner turbulence. They realize that hey, some people they don't want to listen to forty-two minutes of one song, mm-hmm. even though it's technically like eight different tracks kind mm-hmm. of pushed into one song. Uh, they What they did is they split it up on right. that on the CD. So each movement of the 42-minute song is its own track, mm-hmm. right? I was like, no, I don't want to do that. I, de- I, I went and bought this CD physical so that I could rip the audio tracks, plug them into Windows Movie Maker, and make a 42-minute file. Nerd! <laughs> That's back in the day. So I'm looking at my iTunes right now. Six degrees of inner turbulence, all the movements, 42 minutes, two seconds. Oh, my gosh. I did it. You know. Because it means that much to me. You're a dedicated man. And the things you love, you love. I was doing the same thing with, like, Pink Floyd. So Pink Floyd has, a, like, a really long song that I enjoy called uh, Shine On, You Crazy Diamond. It's a good song. It, it, and what they did was because the song was too long for a single LP record, they had to split it half, you know, half on a, side A, half on side B. Mm-hmm. I, I I combined them in Windows Movie Maker back in the day, you know. <laughs> You're like, I need both. I, I need want the both. Whole thing. I want to listen to the whole thing. I yeah. Do. Yeah. I mean, doesn't it just go into the next one since it's. Yeah, but I mean, if I'm listening to, like, if I put it on shuffle, you know, uh, I don't want just one movement to play on the shuffle, you fair. know, and then kind of just cut dramatic, sure. you know, undramatically halfway through. I get it. I want, the whole, I want the whole thing. And I've listened to the whole thing countless times. I remember, so I was junior. I was taking AP Calculus. A. I think it was A and B, whatever. Mm-hmm. A, B. Mm. <laughs> it's like the first the first calculus class. Mm-hmm. And uh, while we were studying, like I, I would have like some some friends from my class come to my house. Or, you know, sometimes we go to their house. But he, they'd come to my house and we would just sit there and just like study or like help each other get through like the the study guide before mm-hmm. the test because calculus is calculus is hard yeah calculus is rough um and we would sit there and i put music on and i remember putting on six degrees of inner turbulence right by dream theater a few times just listening to <laughs> the 42 minute song plus the other songs 
as we studied calculus. So it, it makes you think of math? Yes. <laughs> uh, that makes sense. Progressive metal is very math-oriented. I mean, it's all about, yeah, it's all about numbers. Yeah. I didn't even know that at the time. I was just ah. like, hey, guys, check out this long song. <laughs> kind of sounds like Disney in some places. <laughs> it'll increase our performance in the maths. Yeah, this first time you've heard this album, I, I presume? No, I've heard it once before. Because of me? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have any lingering uh, feelings about the album at the time that you first listened to it? Or? So long. So long. That feeling lingers now. I mean, it's it's good. You know, it's Dream Theater. I've heard a couple of the, their things. I think there are other songs that I like better from previous albums. But it's not it's not bad. It's not bad. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's jump into how this album was made. Give people some some background. <laughs> On the band, you probably know way more than you ever expected to know, kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you want, you want the full story of Dream Theater. You're gonna have to listen to our other music episodes that feature them because uh, we're we're jumping in. Oh my gosh, we should just make a smash cut edit of just Dream all the Nickel, story. All the, I said Nickelback. All the Dream Theater episode Ugh. portions. So it's just like yeah, or just the history of all of them. <laughs> the history of Dream Theater, super cut. As we talked about in our 1999 music episode. American progressive metal band Dream Theater entered a career renaissance with the critically acclaimed album Metropolis Part 2, Scenes from a Memory, the first to feature new keyboardist Jordan Rudis. We talked about that album. You remember that one? Rudis, Rudis, Rudis. It's kind of a concept album, a -hmm. rock opera, if you will. Rock opera. Told a story. (laughs) Yes. And uh, Jordan Rudis was their keyboardist, and he he brought a a new layer to the band because he's like this child prodigy mm-hmm. uh who who le- like you know went to music college at 10 years old right <laughs> learned classic piano <laughs> and then realized i'm really good at piano like i'm really good I, you know i'm classically trained but i don't want to play classical music i want to play progressive rock music yeah so he struck out on his own and now he's with dream theater who is a you know who are all equally talented at their music their their instruments mm. you know it's sort of like you've got the best musicians of every instrument in this band Hmm. he found his peers he did and i i think he brought a lot of like creativity to the band Mm -hmm. they you know kind of like a a a new sense of uh i guess that just a new layer because they already had the 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 heavy metal uh uh influence because uh mike portner their drummer was really into metallica and megadeth and stuff Mm -hmm. like that and iron maiden right and they already liked progressive rock music like pink floyd and rush and then I think Jordan Rudis brought in even more weird progressive stuff, mm-hmm. you know, like Gentle Giant, Emerson, Lake and Palmer, mm-hmm. uh, Genesis. And he also obviously brought in a lot of classical influence, which right. is why this album has kind of like <laughs> classical overtures and, and grand finales and stuff. Mm-hmm. Following the Metropolis 2000 World Tour, the band's largest up to that point, Dream Theater returned to Bear Track Studios in New York in early 2001 to record their sixth album. Fittingly, six songs were written and recorded for this sixth album, <laughs> which is called Six Degrees of Separation. Uh, close. <laughs> yep, it's all about sixes. <laughs> it's cute. <laughs> the idea for what would become the title track, Six Degrees of Inner Turbulence, began as an instrumental overture written by keyboardist Jordan Rudis. Mm-hmm. The band took various melodies and ideas contained within that overture and expanded them into segments of a complete piece. Okay. The band intended to keep that song at 20 minutes long, but more and more ideas came up, which resulted in the length doubling, 
Realizing that they would have to cut two entire songs to keep the album at one CD, Dream Theater petitioned their record label to release a double album comprising of two CDs. Hmm. So this isn't the first time they wanted to do a double album. Mm -hmm. As early as 1997, when the band recorded two CDs worth of new material for their Falling Into Infinity album, which we talked about, Dream Theater wanted to release a double album. However, their record labels East West Records and Elektra Records remained hesitant to the idea Hmm. because they want to make money. Yeah. And double double CDs are, you know. Harder to sell. I, I, they're also more expensive. Mm. So they're like, hey, th- we're, we're, we're having trouble just getting this band out, you know, out there. Mm-hmm. You know, th- this band is already not radio friendly. They don't get played on the radio all that much. Uh, yeah. They, uh, you know, people don't just like pick up a Dream Theater and CD and say, I'm going to try this out. You know, so it's right. like they're going to be double intimidated when they have a double album <laughs> that that's more expensive. Yeah. But after the critical and commercial success of Metropolis Part 2, Elektra finally relented and signed off on Dream Theater's first double album. It's a win! Victory! As with previous albums, Dream Theater drew from many musical influences, including Megadeth's Rust in Peace, which Media Maid talked about in our 1990 music episode, (laughs) Uh, Metallica's Master of Puppets, Pantera's Far Beyond Driven, that's all your metal influences, Radiohead's OK Computer, Kevin Gilbert's Thud, King X's Faith, Hope, Love, and Galactic Cowboys Space in Your Face. What? <laughs> That's uh, all your uh, progressive influences. Soundgarden's Super Unknown, Alice in Chains' Dirt. There's some grunge influences in here. U2's Octung Baby. A little bit of U2 in here, even. Octung Baby. U2 yeah. was having a bit of a career renaissance at the time as well. Okay. There was some song, when we talked about uh, Falling Into Infinity, I said some song sounded like U2, so I'm not surprised. Mm. Hungarian classical composer Bella Bartok. I wonder who suggested that. Italian classical pianist Maria Tipo. That probably was even a different person who suggested that. And more. <laughs> so a lot of influences. Yeah. When I describe Dream Theater, like I describe it's a lot of mm. musical influences in a blender. Yeah. And they had a lot of influences here. They had metal, they had progressive rock, they had grunge, they had like... Classical, they Cla- had... classical, you know, kind of modern, mar- modern, like like adult rock mm-hmm. with U two, you know, adult yeah. contemporary kind of stuff. So put it all in a ninja and blended it straight up. Recording for Six Degrees of Inner Turbulence was completed August two thousand, and mixing took place in the following months. The band was actually in Manhattan mixing the album on the day of the September eleventh attacks. Oh whoa, wow. Yep, New York. It's a band of New Yorkers mm. and one Canadian. Um, so the nine eleven uh, was close to home for these guys. Yeah. So this is kind of their 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 post nine eleven album. Huh. Yeah. I will. I mean, yeah. They have written a song on one of their albums, dedicated like about nine eleven. Hmm. I believe that. Yeah. Six Degrees of Inner Turbulence released January 29, two thousand two. Despite releasing on two CDs in that format, the cassette version still cut one song down to a radio edit and cut another song entirely. Oh wow. Yeah. Back what, remember, remember, cassette and CDs still have data space. Yep, they're, they're still out there in the cultural zeitgeist. Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure, like, my parents, like, okay, so my older sister had, had moved in to our house by the time this album released. Mm-hmm. I wasn't listening to it at that time, but she had a CD case in her, or she had a CD player in her car. Mm-hmm. My parents did not. Yeah. My parents still had cassettes. Yeah, that's fair. And now where are the CD players in cars? I have one in mine. I also have one. <laughs> and that is basically the making of Six Degrees of Inner Turbulence. Oh. Uh, now we get to talk about the songs. Cool. Now, the subjects the subjects of the songs on this album 
go places. They That's are very true. they are it's a very diverse uh, a group of subject matter. Yeah. And some songs, you know, you're like, "Oh yeah, yeah, and I've heard songs by other bands about that subject." Others not so much. It's it's they have conversations about real world like real world things, not yeah. just like basic like, you know, love stuff you know just Mm -hmm. basic uh human condition and love songs it's like no no they're they're talking about political ideas that's true uh issues in the of the day they're kind of laughable now laughable issues i'll I'll tell you which one i'm talking about Mm. other ones are like oh wow yeah it's serious and i think can connect it with anybody yeah but uh, there's one song in particular i feel like really represents the the time (laughs) that we were living in in 2002 it's a bit of a time where america yeah like time american time capsule yeah Sort yep. of. I mean, yeah. No, I agree. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's, let's talk about one of those songs that I think a lot of people will connect to. Uh, it is a song called The Glass Prison. Right off the bat, I should mention uh, the song opens with static, just kind of white noise static. That is a carryover from the last sounds heard in Dream Theater's previous album, hmm. Metropolis Part 2. It ends with like static from a radio, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of fading in, you know, fading out to the album, right? Right. And then this album opens with the same static. So it's hmm. almost like making a continuous piece out of their albums, their discography. They would do this. Very same trick with the next, like, three albums. Huh. The last sound heard on one album will be the first sound heard on the, the next one. So they were creating a, what is it, universe? Dream uh, uh, universe? The cinematic, the music, musical. Musicmatic universe? Audiomatic? Yeah. Uh, so they, I guess the idea came from uh, uh, Mike Portnoy had listened to, I think it was a, a Van Halen album. He was mm-hmm. listening to a Van Halen album, and the, the, the album ended with a cool guitar riff Mm -hmm. uh that wasn't heard anywhere else and then it faded out right Mm -hmm. and he was like that was that was a cool lick i hope the next album opens with that lick and that's the the opening of the first song on the Mm -hmm. next album it didn't come to pass Uh. and he was pretty disappointed by that he was like i'm gonna do that album's gonna end on dream theater it's gonna end with a sound and we're gonna open with the same sound on the next album Mm. and that's what they would do for the next three albums or so it's a cool little fun trick yeah uh, so, Easter egg. So what, what I did not you you listen to these songs, you looked at the lyrics, mm-hmm. but you don't know the background. You don't know explicitly what these songs are about. They are about things. Yes. So you you took a stab and guessed. I want you to tell everybody what you think the glass prison is about. I will then tell you what it's actually about. And we'll go through together and you can kind of explain why you thought the song was about what you thought it was, and I'll explain how. It relates to the theme that was intended. Mm-hmm. Uh, an alcoholic going into the 12-step program. How'd you know that? <laughs> How'd you know that? 
you're, was it? You're was right. Right on. You're right. How'd yeah. You, how'd you know that? Um, there was a line somewhere. Uh, I remember I read through it the first time, and then I stopped somewhere around like somewhere. I don't can't verses here. And um, there's a line at the end of a stanza that says, lift this obsession. And I was like, this is about an obsession. And I went back and I missed this obsession the first time. And I was like, okay, this is about an obsession. Then I went down to life here in my gla glass prison. There's like a small little thing. I was like, drinking? And the very next line, I was like, drinking. And <laughs> so then I was like, glass prison. It sounds like a bottle. Yep. And then, <laughs> um, then there was something that was happening that I was like, those sound like steps. <laughs> oh, did I pull the rug? Did I pull the rug? No, no, no. Hey. You got it. You nailed it. I nailed it. The glass prison is about alcoholism. Ha ha. Right. Oh, I mean, sad. <laughs> the song was written by... Mike Portnoy, the mm -hmm. drummer. The Glass Prison is the first track in what he calls the 12 Step Suite. Ah. A set of five songs inspired by his recovery from alcoholism and his participation in Alcoholics Anonymous's 12 Step program. Mm. Each song of the suite is dedicated to Bill W. and his friends. It's, it's in the liner notes. Referencing Alcohol Anonymous co-founder Bill Wilson. Hmm. Portnoy found the Alcohol Anonymous 12-step program, which he considers to have saved his life mm -hmm. uh, during the Metropolis 2000 World Tour, a period during which he considered his alcoholism and drug abuse to have gotten out of control. Mm. He said, there, there's like quotes from him. He said he like, it started out, he, he would drink sooner and sooner into his show mm -hmm. until the point where he would go on stage completely hammered. Yeah. Yeah. And like he was like drinking a lot even before the show. Yeah. And it, it was getting out of control and his bandmates were considering it a problem. Yeah. And and he said, I, I need help. And that's typically what happens. I, I, when, I'm glad he got, he considered that he needed help and then actually went for it. Yeah. He consumed his final drink of alcohol April 20th, 2000, his 33rd birthday. Oh, wow. After the final show of Dream Theater Scenes from a Memory Tour. Mm. So, great. Congratulations yeah. for him. That's, he's, that's still, he's still on the wagon? He's still sober. Good yep. job. And the uh, so the the glass prison is kind of the start of basically a series of songs where he will explore his journey to recovery. Mm -hmm. And glass so twelve steps, and I think a few lines in the song kind of like like you said you were able to like pick them out mm -hmm. and be like that song's about alcohol. Like uh, yeah. some that I highlighted are crawling to my glass prison, a place where no one knows my secret lonely world begins. So much safer here, a place where I can go to forget my daily sins. Life here in my glass prison, a place I once called home, fall in nocturnal bliss again, chasing a long-lost friend I no longer can control, just waiting for the helplessness to end.
Yep, that was the that was the moment that I was like drinking. <laughs> I, I like that it's being realistic about drinking. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I, I use this to escape the world. You know, it's a form of escapism. Mm-hmm. It's a force to it's it's a method by which I can forget my daily sins. It's you know, like there's a lot of self pity, you know. Yeah. Like, I, I don't like myself. I don't like this position I'm in. I'm gonna just gonna drink it away, you know, drink my problems away, and that's how it becomes a glass prison because he he was he's like self reliant on it, or, mm-hmm. or he's reliant on it. Yeah, like even in that um, line there, uh, the like the self reliance that you're talking about, but the line um, chasing a long lost friend, I wrote. That like chasing a long lost friend, like that the high of being drunk used to be so, like a, like alcohol used to be considered a friend, something that you would go to just to have a good time. And it's like, but it's no longer that, but you're chasing that kind of. Chasing the dragon. Yeah. Don't chase a dragon. That's, that's, the, that's the phrase, isn't it? Dragons can fly, kids. Don't chase. You're going to fall off a cliff. <laughs> but yeah, it is. It's painted very realistically in a lot of ways i think i think yeah i mean it comes from a real place I yeah think, honestly this is the most like emotionally honest song mm-hmm. on the whole album uh because it's it's such a heartfelt earnest personal sincere song about one's struggles you yeah know? like the other song I, I there are a few songs where i feel like the the person is very the the other songwriters are very invested in what they're writing about mm-hmm. but this one is like no this is like full-on comes from a place of experience yeah, 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 and yeah. real hurt and pain and struggle. So each movement of the 12 step suite, which this is the first mirrors a step from the 12 step program. Mm-hmm. In fact, they're, they're all labeled on this track listing. If you look on Wikipedia or the CD case, uh, the first three movements of the glass prison are reflection, restoration, and revelation. Every, every movement of the 12 step suite has re blank you know got it got, re it, got something it. like regarding reflection oh, restoration got it. <laughs> revelation revelation and each one of those movements correlates to one of the steps in the 12-step program okay, okay. so for uh, we, we can talk more about the lyrics but i want to kind of take us through the steps as mm-hmm. they're presented so step one of the alcoholics anonymous 12-step program is we admitted we were powerless over alcohol that our lives had become unmanageable that is step one, realizing one's powerlessness over the thing we're addicted to. Sounds right. <laughs> and there are lyrics to uh, reflect that step in the song. I, I, I highlighted a uh, dominating, invisible, blackout, loss of control. There you go. Overwhelming, unquenchable. I'm powerless. Have to let go. I can't escape it. It leaves me frail and worn. Can no longer take it. Senses tattered and torn. Mm-hmm. Hopeless surrender. Obsessions got me beat. Losing the will to live. Admitting complete defeat.
to surrender, you know? Yeah. Yeah, like that what first step is admitting that you have no, yeah, exactly, that you have no control. I think that, like, in a lot of cases, people are like, uh, that cliche but very real thing that people say, like, I can stop whenever I want, when you realize that, no, you can't. <laughs> yeah, I you think, You can't like, stop whenever you want. The pract- Like, I think practically it's, like, the the dismissal of pride is, that, like, pride is what keeps people from recovery in a lot of ways, you yeah. know, at least starting recovery. Yeah. Like, one needs to be humble in order to, and humbled, mm-hmm. you know, by their circumstances to like really move towards recovery, I guess. Yeah. I think pride and insecurity, which I think insecurity is like a facet of pride, but I don't think people who are insecure feel like it's very prideful, but those are definitely two things that keep you from moving forward. There's your obsessions got me beat line. Yep. That was, that was the one I missed until uh, two stances later when it said lift this obsession. I was like, is this the first time they're talking about obsession? Nope. Honestly, this is this song could relate to any addiction, Agreed. struggle, you know, like anything. And, and it reflects any kind of personal demons. I think the, the glass prison, mm-hmm. obviously, it it, uh, it paints a picture of a glass bottle. But, uh, you know, uh, there are so many things that can be in our glass prison, you mm-hmm. know, keeping us from keeping us isolated and worn down, you know, trapped mm-hmm. in, in a cycle. Just um, beyond the reach of others, like feeling like, well, if it was a problem, you're like, well, people see me. So it's nope, nope, nope. They see me relying on this thing. Yeah. More and more. Yeah. So step two of the program says, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. That the end of step? Yep. (laughs) Well, that's definitely in there. Yep. A line I highlighted is a uh, cry, desperate, crawling on my knees, begging God to please stop the insanity. There's, mm-hmm. I think that that's the High direct, a direct allusion to the step. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Stop the insanity, restore us to sanity. Help me. I'm trying to believe. Stop wallowing in my self pity. We've been waiting for you, my friend. Oh, this, this, and here's a quote. We've been waiting for you, my friend. The writing's been on the wall. All it takes is a little faith. You know, you're the same as us all. having uh, people in your like that might be another step but like having people in your court on your in your side of the ropes i don't know how to sports terminology but people that in your corner that's the one corner um yeah because this quote is very much like an outside source uh from the eye of this which we could presume is mike um as it is his story to me the the quote like you know hey people like my one's friends like pointing this out to you uh, conjures up uh, like the picture of an intervention, Mm. you know, a group of friends telling you, if you got a problem. And I think that, and that that's the thing, like with an intervention, it's up to someone to decide to be prideful and, and reject what they're saying or to be humble and take their, you know, words at face value, I guess. Yeah. To to accept what they're saying. 
which hard, <laughs> but needed and necessary. Another line that I highlighted says, help me. I can't break out of this prison all alone. Save me. I'm drowning and I'm hopeless on my own. Hear me. I can't restore my sanity alone. Which, again, directly alludes to the step yeah. itself. About the sanity. Yeah. And this is pleading to God. Yeah. The man is pleading to God as instructed, you know. A power greater than ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that that is, I mean, I'm not familiar with uh, AA, the steps in themselves, but the kind of... It just makes sense, right? The the moving from that step to... I don't know if these are like steps one and two or if this is like step one and then three or whatever. I don't know how these are moving. We're, but, we're still in two. Okay. I didn't know if you were going to go through all 12 steps. If oh, all no, no. This is only three steps. Were. These are the first three. Yeah. Got it. You definitely said something to that effect. Um, so I think it just makes so much sense that, right, like the first thing you need to do is realize that like you, you have no ability to overcome this and then to ask for help but not just from like people beside you. Cause I think it's so easy to just be like, Oh, I always go out drinking with these friends or I always get high with these friends or I always do this with these friends, but I want to get clean. So let's talk to this other person who maybe, you know, also wants to get clean and we'll do this together. But like, you need somebody who's stronger than you, not someone who's on the same level. Yeah. Like you both need to go to someone else. And so to have these, I, I think that that's, not admirable, but yes, of the steps to just kind of like, yeah, you know, like if this isn't just on a, uh, a human level, but like, yeah, you got, you've got to be desperate enough to like, not just realize you need help, but call out for it and be on top of yeah. like really going after that. Now, AA is admittedly a very Christian organization. Like a yeah. lot, obviously a lot of these steps are drawn on Christian beliefs. Yeah. Um, so the, there's a lot of that in there. Um, but I, I think I, I I do appreciate that they're trying to get people to realize that with one's power alone, they can't do it. They yeah. have they have this has to be a spiritual journey mm-hmm. along with a physical one. You yeah. Know? In what whatever someone understands spiritual to be. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, because I think like for anybody who does struggle with like addictions and maybe doesn't believe in God or a higher power or something like that. The the true science behind it is like when you make a dish and when you have addictions and you, cre- they create routes in your brain and you are unable to overcome these things on your own. Right. Like it doesn't, even if it's a, a sugar addiction, right? Like nobody's getting out of a sugar addiction by themselves. You need a food coach or, or someone for accountability. That's really going to like help you because addiction is, is just something that you can't like once your body is like this is the way it's gonna happen this is the way it's like there's no way you're getting out on your own i would also say okay this is gonna sound follow, follow me through follow me through kids like 
Uh, with depression, your brain gets also addicted to the kind of the the lows, not because you want it or anything like that, but that's what your brain like goes into, which is why we're like, yo, you have to seek help. Like you do. Like there's just not sometimes just like, hey, just be happy. Just do the things you like to do. Like that's not going to work. Like your brain has now made these inroads. Right. And we need something else. Like we need someone who is stronger than us. And, you know, if you're Christian um, or of any kind of faith, it's going to be your God, your higher power. Uh, and if you're not, you'll find some, find like really dig in there to find some people that are going to like really hold you up. Yeah. It's like, it's a, you need to reject the idea that you could just quit cold Turkey. Like, uh, I can do this on my own. Like I can will myself out of this. Like I, I'm imagining, uh, the, the movie, uh, with Ewan McGregor, um, train spotting mm. where he's addicted to heroin and he basically just locks himself in a bedroom for mm -hmm. like, three weeks to get out over his addiction, you know? And it's almost like this romanticized, like he did it. He yeah. did it on his own. Yeah. He struggled a lot and he was really sick and he started seeing hallucinations and stuff, but he got through it on his own. I was like, no, that, that's not realistic. No, it's not. And I do, I do want to say on that note for those exceptions to the rule, because there are always exceptions oh, to the rule. Uh, if you are one of those people who are like, I dropped it without, like I kicked cigarettes without anyone's help and I did it on my own willpower. More power to you. Do not preach that to other people. Like you could tell people that is your journey, but that people need help. Like don't yeah. say like, if you can't do it by yourself, you're weak. No, no. I agree. <laughs> we need to have like some people went to addiction because they felt lonely. And if you're telling them to do this on their own, that is just going to perpetuate and send them back to the same or deeper, different addic addictions. Anyway, that's my, that's my two cents in this corner. <laughs> Step three is made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. I love that. Hmm. God as we understood him. I think that makes it a lot more welcoming to, yeah. you know, not just Christians, but to people from any faith. Yeah. It's like, you need to find God as you understand him. You know, you could be agnostic, uh, you know, just mm -hmm. even, even the universe, you know, like the, 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 the state of the universe kind of thing, you know, what, whatever that is, you know, mm -hmm. whatever the metaphysical means to you, you need to turn your life over to something higher than yourself. It's neat. Yeah, no, I think that that says a lot, right? Like, because that makes it open. I think there are a lot of people who, I don't know, there are definitely people who shy away from AA because it's in a church and they have such bad <laughs> um, church trauma or uh, just a rejection of establishment as a whole yep. and knowing that that that's in the byline that it's like yo whatever you understand god to be right the like, god of your mind's eye right like because we just need to not be here this is ruining your life and the life of people around you so i i love that i love that yep i highlighted uh the end of the so like the last bit of the song is is all about this step mm -hmm. um and it's it's about walking out of the glass prison you know finding a door out mm-hmm Way off in the distance, I saw a door. I tried to open. I tried forcing with all my will, and still the door would not open. I think that's before finding the 12-step program. Yeah. Unable to trust in my faith, I turned and walked away. I looked around, felt a chill in the air, took my will, and turned it over. Mm -hmm. We've discussed that process already. The glass prison, which once held me, is now gone. A long-lost fortress armed only with liberty and the key of my willingness, fell down on my knees and prayed, thy will be done, in quotes, point, mm -hmm. I assume pointing up at God, 
I turned around and saw the light shining through. The door was wide open. I wonder what that means. <laughs> he's 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 on his course to recovery. He has hope, faith, maybe some love. <laughs> I have thy will be done circled. It's just yep, because I think I was like seven seven step program because I put seven instead of twelve at first, and I was like, uh huh, yep, that's what it is. That's what it is. <clears throat> the last the last step being about like turning it over to God, not just like. Um, asking for help because I think there's a difference, right? Like sometimes like when a person asks for help, like, Hey, can you, can you help me like straighten this place up? It's literally like you take that side of the room. I'll take this side of the room. Can you give me a little push? You know, like (laughs) I I feel like that's, that's what it's, that's what it sounds like to me. Yeah. You give me a little push. I can do the rest. Yeah. Right. Um, but like the five, the third step is like, no, 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 no. You have no hand in this your hands made it this way kind of thing. And um, just kind of like the, the, the verses in between are, are that are like kind of shotgunned. Mm-hmm. Uh, even when you listen to it, um, feel like finding the space to like, kind of letting it go, letting go the power because it's not, that's not an easy thing to do. Like not even just with uh, addiction, just letting go of power at all, especially like when you grew up in America, because that's where we grew up and I don't have any <laughs> other like frame of reference. Like if you have any power, even as just a citizen, hold that mess because you will be run over kind of thing. So it's difficult in any frame of reference to just yeah. kind of like, right? Like we're talking about enter the door desperate. Um, but rather than, I don't know, this kind of like, you want to go in, you're entering rather than I wait for the door to open, <laughs> you know, like, and it's getting to that space of just kind of like waiting to have the work done. It's like being submissive is hard. Yeah, it is. Right? I, like giving, I would not recommend. I'm kidding. Giving up one's agency, <laughs> oh, you know, giving up your own will mm-hmm. to something else is hard. Yeah. But I, th- I mean, I think the, the point of the song is like, that's what helped him open that door, you know, and see the light beyond the door was mm-hmm. finally just turning around saying, fine, God, your will be done. Yeah, I agree. Nobody likes to get there. <laughs> Nobody likes to get there. Anything else you want to say about uh, the lyrics to the glass prison? No, I think that we covered it all. Like most of the stuff that you had already highlighted was stuff that I had too. It's a good song. Yeah, good song. I think it's the best song on the album. Mm. Even even better than the forty two minutes song, which mm. I like. <laughs> better because it's 
uh, a little less than half of that runtime. This was 13 minutes, kids. 14, really. We're not done talking about it. I want to talk about the music side of things. Oh, okay. Just, yeah, you know, just a little bit. Okay. So this is one of those uh, times where I want to discuss, like, where rock music was in 2000. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like, The Glass Prison, I think, is, like, most in line with what rock music was like at the time, you know? Uh, they're, they're drawing from more contemporary influences. Mm-hmm. We're not talking classical music or, you know, old school 70s progressive rock. Right. This song is very much a metal song. Right. So on, with that it said, the weekend before entering the studio to start work on Six Degrees of Inner Turbulence, Mike Portnoy and guitarist John Petrucci saw Pantera perform in New York City, which directly influenced the sound of the glass prison. Hmm. This is them trying to make their Pantera song. Got it. Pantera's like... Super hard, fast thrash metal. You know? Okay. It's a, a groove metal even a little bit. I would know. I have no frame of reference for that either. You've not made me listen to them. That is not a challenge, please. Portnoy described the track as musically, quote, this total Pantera meets Megadeth relentless ball of energy. That was what they were going for with Glass mm. Prison. Okay. But, I can see that. But there's another element of the Glass Prison that I think draws directly from contemporary metal music mm-hmm. of the time because Pinterin had been around for a while. Uh, th- there were there was there were a few leading genres of rock and metal in the er- the, the late 90s early 2000s. You mm-hmm. want to take a guess on what those things were? Nickelback? No. <laughs> well, not what 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 genre is that? Post grunge. It is not post grunge. That's not what I'm talking about. But I <laughs> but, but I do have something funny to say about that actually. <laughs> Uh, take a little side sidetrack here. Uh, uh, Mike Portnoy took his camcorder out to the studio with them when they recorded this album, mm-hmm. and he put together a little home video um, of them making the album. And he's walking into the studio with his camcorder, and he's like, "Hey, who's that coming out the door? Who is that?" Is and, Chad. No, it's J- John Petrucci <laughs> coming out, and he had just cut his hair. He used to have really long hair, like a, like a metal head would, mm-hmm. and he cut it, and it's spiky. It's huh. a very 2002 looking dude <laughs> right there. And this is what, this is the, ex- I, I pulled it. Here's the exchange <laughs> from that meeting. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to present to you John Petrucci, 2001. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I feel like there was a weight lifted off my shoulders, but there was something that's, uh, something that really concerns me is that I don't know how to write um, really good music anymore. Something happened. It came off and... We understand it happened with Metallica, right, right, right. so of course it'll happen with us. Everything you know. that that I play just sounds like you know four four time and three minutes long. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I can't do it anymore. So people can expect uh, the new Creed album right, from right. Dream Theater. Exactly. I I just can't help it because my hair's short. So now. That... <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> Throwing shade at Creed in the the post grunge. Leave them alone. So no, post grunge is not an influence on the Glass Prison. Not at all. Could be. <laughs> Do you, what other what other leading genres of rock and metal were going on in the, the, the turn of the millennium? I have no idea. I've just been watching the uh, oh the, funk, the, not funk. The, the I was watching the Woodstock '99 documentary. Moby. <laughs> not Moby. <laughs> the big band, the one that got everyone to break stuff. Oh, Little John. Wait, 
I'm talking about Limp Biscuit. Oh, I don't think you told me Limp Biscuit broke a bunch of stuff. Oh, that, yeah. That would no, be, no. Yeah, you, you you definitely had not yet talked about Limp Biscuit. So, do you, what what genre is Limp Biscuit? Limp rock. It, I don't. It is new metal or new. or 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 rap rock. Oh. So rap rock was huge at the turn of the millennium. Limp Biscuit, Corn, Slipknot. Yeah, I Limp, think uh, Lincoln Park. Lincoln Park is the only rap rock that I acknowledge. So Dream Theater explicitly identified Rage Against the Machine's 1999 album, The Battle of Los Angeles, as an influence on this album. But I think new metal in general kind of got absorbed into the glass prison a little bit. Okay, mm. Not a lot, but a little bit. And I'm going to play a, a little bit of here just to prove my point. Yeah, I think that's the only Dream Theater song to feature a record scratch, which I think is just Uh, someone scratching their guitar string to uh, simulate a record scratch. But yeah, we're not bringing a record in here. That is legit. That is a legit record scratch in a Dream Theater song. And I think that is directly influenced from the rap rock new metal craze that was going on (laughs) in the early 2000s. Okay. I mean, they're allowed it. They can have it. Yeah, it 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 totally works here. It totally works. Right. (laughs) <laughs> but I think that really represents the time that yeah. this song came out. You know, a lot I of mean, re- a lot of new metal going around at the time. A lot of what? <laughs> this is what a lot of a lot of white dudes rapping well, with backwards hats and sunglasses. Mm, approximation. That's a fun word. And for... Eminem was coming out too. Like he, I mean, Eminem is not rock, but he he had some like rock influence as well, like punk rock yeah. sensibilities going on. Sensibilities, yeah. yeah. So anyway, that is the glass prison. Ah, moving on ah. to the next song. Now, the, the, this song, like I said, this is the song I was talking about, where I feel like it it comes from the heart. The lyrics reflect someone battling with an inner uh, decision, inner decision, inner Conflict. thoughts on, mm-hmm. on something. You know, like just grappling with their own thoughts on a debate, a certain debate, a great debate, even. <laughs> the song's called "The Great Debate." to president bush already uh what is what is this song about if you had to take a guess how far is too far with science specifically with embryonic cloning embryonic stem cell research that's the one that's what it is remember that remember when that was a debate that people had and were concerned about (laughs) i vaguely do i was like i'm like you know it was so far long ago and the reason I want to talk about this song because I think it's the most topical song on the album. Mm-hmm. This is such a 2002 song. Yeah. Okay? I 
I can only speak for myself, but that was one of the, like, that was the first after 9-11, that was the first time where I really was confronted with politics. Mm -hmm. You know, I missed, I was really, really unaware with the, the, the Clinton situation, mm -hmm. you know, when he, with his scandals, you were a baby. Um, I remember the 2000 election being controversial, but I don't remember why I don't remember the specifics, but when 9-11 happened, it was like politics were everywhere. Mm -hmm. It was like September 11th attacks, anthrax. Suddenly everyone is a proud American and that's all anyone like talk about and saying about, right? It was yeah. like very, everything had to be patriotic and literally in, from my experience, that's when everything became a wedge issue. Mm. Now a wedge issue basically is, I think it's like a political tactic by parties to basically take a, a moral issue or a cultural issue and put a wedge to divide the voter base. Mm. You know, it's like if you are for this, it means you're a conservative or, or you know, you're, you, you side with the Republicans. If you don't believe it, you side with the, the liberals, with the, the, the Democratic Party, right? Mm -hmm. Even though those things shouldn't traditionally have anything to do with one's party. Yeah. You know, like it's just like they, 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 they take a stance and they say that's what it is, you know, mm -hmm. like take like in modern day politics, you know, taking a COVID vaccine shouldn't be a right or left political issue, mm -hmm. but they've made it that way yeah. to basically make an us versus them dynamic. And that's what embryonic stem cell research was. Mm. It was a wedge issue with a lot of us versus them animosity. Yeah. And this is a song talking about that debate. Yeah. The song was written by John Petrucci. Um, it, it's uh, a, a, another Christian man. Yeah. And I, I legitimately, that's the thing. I think this song, it's nonpartisan, which I think is effective. Mm -hmm. the, the song does not take a stance. It's all about questioning. What should I believe? Mm-hmm. What's the right choice here? As a Christian man, should I, you know, be concerned about the ethical uh, issues presented with embryonic stem cell research? Do the, you know, the ends justify the means? Mm -hmm. It's it's all very complicated. But I think the song more than that reveals the polarization of politics after 9-11. Mm. <laughs> because I, I, I don't know if you have any experiences like this, but when I was a little kid, like right after 9-11, 2002 time, um, Every house on the block had an American flag, except for my house. My dad just didn't do that, you know. I think he did eventually, but he didn't at first. Peer pressure. And I had a friend who lived across the street from me, you know, a really good friend. Mm -hmm. But he, like, came at me. How come your family doesn't have an American flag? That's so un-American, you know, like, almost like attacking me mm. for not having an American flag outside my house. You yeah. know, like, that was an issue. And even back then, I was like, I don't understand why that's such a big deal. Yeah. You know, but it was almost like... You're with the enemy if yeah. you don't have an American flag outside your house. You must and, be a spy stationed here. And it seemed like every issue became that. If you are for this or against this, you are un-American. Yeah. Like, there's no, there's no spectrum. There's no, uh, you know, subtlety or, or no complexity. <laughs> no gray area. It is black or white, American, non-American. Yeah. And stem cell research was that. Yeah. And it was non-American to want to fund it? Well, if you're with the president, uh, it is American to uh, dismiss it because it's unethical or immoral. Okay. You're killing babies, apparently. That's what I think that I have. I have a lot of facts on this. All right. Before we talk about the the, the specifics of the lyrics of the song, I have a bunch of facts Let's I'm going to lay it. out. No, no, I'm not, I'm not done yet. Introduce the song a little bit more. 
talk about my own experiences with this song. Okay. Um, I, in high school, th- that the year I discovered Dream Theater, 2008, 2009, right? Junior year, um, um, English class, English language, AP mm-hmm. English language. We had to do a project where we had to go up in front of the class and present a controversial issue. Take a stand on a controversial issue and use a rhetorical tactics to prove your point, mm-hmm. to make your case. You know, it's like a soapbox kind of right. project, right? And the controversial topic I chose was stem cell research. Why? Sounds right. Why did I choose stem Why? cell research? Why did Rodney? Because choose? I was a fan of Dream Theater <laughs> and I knew about this song. All right. So. Did you get a good grade? Probably. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not, I was not a good public speaker then mm-hmm. or now. <laughs> so I don't think I was graded well in that regard. But, you know, <laughs> we just had to, like, use logos, pathos, ethos to right. prove our point. And there was a point where I directly quoted this song. <laughs> There's a line in the song. It's called, Are We Justified in Taking Life to Save Life? And I quoted that in my little speech. <laughs> and there was a guy in my class named Luke. He and I were both fans of Dream Theater. <laughs> he he went, yeah, <laughs> during my speech. <laughs> and the teacher had to ask, like, why'd you do that? And right. he said, oh, he quoted a song. And she's like, oh, oh illusion. Good. <laughs> so thanks, Luke. <laughs> got him an extra point, Luke. I got, I got illusion. Luke looking out. Yeah. It's funny. So uh, let me lay out the facts of embryonic stem cell research because that is uh, important. All right. We can't speculate on the, the the merits of these arguments without knowing what the facts are. I would just like to say that I have literally avoided the political overturns of the, that's not how you use those words, for 20 years and now you're making me listen to it. I am literally listing you facts. Yep. These are these are irrefutable. Uh-huh. If if you disagree with what I'm about to say, unfortunately you're wrong. Okay, well, I'm also your wife, so <laughs> if I'm wrong, you're sleeping in the refrigerator tonight. All right, so quoting the Mayo Clinic. Mayonnaise? <laughs> just the Mayo Clinic. They they're like I think a nonpartisan nonprofit. Stem cells are the body's raw materials, cells from which all other cells with specialized functions are generated. Under the right conditions in the body, or a laboratory, stem cells divide to form more cells called daughter cells. These daughter cells become either new stem cells or specialized cells with a more specific function, such as blood cells, brain cells, heart muscle cells, or bone cells. No other cell in the body has a natural ability to generate new cells like this. Okay. So stem cells are very, like, malleable. If you've got stem cells, they they use it in... um, therapies now mm-hmm. you know I, i've heard uh, conditions for like disabilities uh, uh concussions even mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of a lot of wrestlers i follow these days are they swear by stem cell therapies mm. because the stem cells are like you know they're they're like universal you know if you you do stem cell therapy the stem cells can become muscle cells mm-hmm. and, and bone cells you know brain cells oh, okay yeah sounds like a mother like when you're making um 
like sourdough or kombucha, you have like a mother germ that mm. you just, everything comes out of. If you put it in a place, it'll just grow, not necessarily more of itself, though some of it, but it'll produce the thing you're trying to. <laughs> so yeah, I, I mentioned this pluripotent stem cells, which are the stem cells that can become any other type of cell. Mm-hmm. The stem cells, you know, bone cell, brain cell, whatever. Right. Those hold the promise in the field of regenerative medicine. Hmm. So everything from concussions to, uh, I, I assume, muscle atrophy, uh, broken bones, stuff mm-hmm. like that. You know, Not necessarily restoring a limb, but. So there are, here's, here's, here's an important fact. Here's mm-hmm. an important fact that I think anyone who has an opinion on stem cell research should know. Okay. There are multiple types of stem cells. There's the often talked about embryonic stem cell. There are adult stem cells amniotic stem cells, which come from amniotic fluid, Mm -hmm. and induced pluripotent stem cells. Now, that is a a breakthrough coming through in 2006 where scientists were able to induce pluripotency, which is the quality of a stem cell to become other types of cells, Mm. in a lab Okay. without the use of real stem cells. They took another cell and were able to induce pluripotency in it. Hmm. That was after 2006. Obviously, the song came up before that. But most most stem cell research today deals with induced pluripotent stem cells. Right. Okay. The latter three do not involve creating, using, or destroying human embryos. Hmm. Okay? So if you feel like all stem cell research is unethical, you probably shouldn't. Uh, uh, donating one's bone, bone marrow is how... We harvest certain types of stem cells, mm-hmm. okay? From donation. Yeah. There's, there, there should be, you know... I think the real debate comes down to embryonic stem cells. Yeah. Okay? So just a little bit more uh, background on embryonic stem cells. Mm-hmm. This comes from Stanford Medicine. Okay. Quote, Embryonic stem cells used in research today come from unused embryos. These result from an in vitro fertilization process. They are donated to science. These embryonic stem cells are pluripotent. This means they can turn into more than one type of cell. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's all donated from folks. Yeah. They're 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 fertilized in a lab environment in vitro for the purpose of getting stem cells. Yeah. Now, here's where I I understand the the ethical questions. I think the ethical discussion is important to have, right? Mm-hmm. Because there are those who think as soon as an egg is fertilized, whether it be in a lab or in a person, that is conception. That is when life begins. Okay. That is an important ethical discussion. Mm-hmm. I'm not dismissing it. Mm-hmm. There are those who think that it is not where life begins. Um, so that's, I think that's where the real debate happens. It's right. like, are, do we have the right to basically conceive life if you believe that's where life is conceived for the for the purposes of simply harvesting the stem cells from it and then disposing of the rest. Right. It's an important question to have. Yeah. And that's what the song is dealing with in particular. Uh, The generation of embryonic stem cells involved destruction or at least manipulation of pre-implantation stage embryo, thus leading to legal, ethical, and moral questions. Okay. In August 2001, which I think is something that directly uh, inspired this song, George W. Bush signed an executive order banning the use of federal funding for any stem cell lines other than those already in existence, stating at the time, quote, 
my position on these. I, I, can't, <laughs> I can't do a George Bush. No, try it. No, I can't. Commit, commit. The position on these issues is shaped by deeply held beliefs. And I believe human life is a sacred gift from our creator. <laughs> Ugh. Ugh. Uh, I yeah. loved it. Yeah, so anyway, he, he did that, and that's directly uh, quoted. Uh, it was like a news report was sampled for the beginning of this song. Yeah. And you heard that lady. Uh, they took a Gallup poll. Mm-hmm. 50%, 50% of Americans yeah. degree, agreed with his decision to do this. 25 did not. 25 did not know what to think. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where John Petrucci lands himself. He doesn't know what to think. Yeah. I mean, fair. Uh, this ban was in part revoked by his, uh, W's successor, Barack Obama, who stated, quote, as a person of faith, I believe we are called to care for each other and work to ease human suffering. I believe we have been given the capacity and the will to pursue this research and the humanity and conscience to do so responsibly. Those were good precedent voices. <laughs> but yeah, go on. Go off, Obama. <laughs> so anyway, that's what the song's about. <laughs> yeah. I just need to get all that stuff out of the way before we can actually have a real discussion on these issues. For sure. Oh, we're discussing the issues or are we discussing, discussing the song? The song? I was like, that that was not, com- I did not come prepared to discuss issues. Anyway, what's, what do you got? Honestly, there's a lot of lines that I really liked in the song. There's just to like, right? Like, so somewhere after the first chorus, it's a, uh, Anarchistic moral vision, industries of death, facing violent pos- opposition, unmolested breaths. Anarchistic moral vision, industries of death, facing violent opposition, unmolested breath. Epic inquisitions breed antagonistic views. Right wing sound by premonitions, a labyrinth of And I don't know. There's something about that line and also the next three stands that I just really liked. Ethics in ethic inquisitions breed antagonistic views, right wing sound bites, premonition in a labyrinth of rules. And I just like it. (laughs) That is the two sides. Yeah. Villainizing each other, uh, you know, vilifying the other side. Like they are villains. Like smudslinging. Right. So. Exactly, just pure mudslinging. Yeah. Not this is not a discourse. This is like an unreasonable argument, right? Yeah. So the the right wing view are calling those who support embryonic stem cell research as anarchistic moral visions, industries of death, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas the other side are uh, decrying the right wing sound bites, mm-hmm. uh, uh, antagonistic view, <laughs> ethic inquisitions. Yeah. Labyrinth of rules, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm like that. I, I love that. Yeah, it really is the like. It's, it's less about the issues at hand and more about the discourse surrounding the issues. It's like there, no, no decisions can, no compromises can be made in this type of environment. Yeah, this is literally what politics has been like for 20 years, Ugh. probably more. This is why I do not partake. <laughs> but yeah, like it's just, and even just following it, right? Like of this, this. Back and forth to the line you quoted, right? Are you justified? Are you justified? Are you justified in taking life to save a life? Taking life to save a life, right? And it just feels like they're going back and forth in that. And even just the following line, like the this embryonic clay wrapped in a fierce debate. Like that it's, uh, <laughs> you know, it's just such a good line where you're like, yeah. 
it, it really comes out as like him like for the most part there's one line where it's like i kind of feel like you're taking a side but this kind of like it's hard to make a decision um where i stand because everyone is saying crazy things but there are good points in both sides that's why I think this song is like strongly nonpartisan. I mm -hmm. think deliberately, which is I think a good choice to make. Like, yeah, he he plays it down the middle. Mm -hmm. He doesn't like the discourse. He sees both sides of the situation, right? Right. Um, like the song starts with, "What if someone said promise lies ahead? Hopes are high in certain scientific circles. Life won't have an end. You could walk again, right? Mm -hmm. That's that's the pro stem cell research crowd. Yeah, right." They they are they're optimistic about the the futures the, mm -hmm. the the possibilities presented by this new research and then on the opposite side what if someone said problems lie ahead they've uncovered something highly controversial the right to life is strong can't you see it's wrong. that's the anti stem cell research crowd mm -hmm. talking about the, the the moral implications of creating but using cool. using embryonic cells to using embryos to to research you know for, right. the, for just research purposes you know yeah those are the two sides <laughs> those are the two and I, I think the song I think is effective in just presenting both of those sides and questioning just questioning the you know, confronting the confusion of the time. Mm -hmm. I think even like you talking about making it a wedge issue, this uh, line in the third stanza, poised for conflict at ground zero, ready for a war. Do we look to our unearthly guide or to white coat heroes searching for a cure? And I think that that's where the wedge is, right? Like, they're like, okay, but, like, this is ungodly. Like, only God can create life and fix these things. You need to pray to whatever it is. Or, like, well, no, like, science is doing a lot and we're seeing uh, uh, evidence and strides. Like, that's that's where the wedge was placed, yep. right there. Yep. Um, and that line in particular, I think, definitely is very prescient. Mm -hmm. calls to mind the where the world was. Mm -hmm. This song was written before 9/11, mind you. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the war, the 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 lines poised for conflict at ground zero, ready for a war. Mm -hmm. Like I think 9/11 was a powder keg. Mm -hmm. And it 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 ignited a lot of debate. Not necessarily like violence, yes, mm -hmm. you know, in the Middle East and stuff, but like, you know, just anger, frustration. Everyone was like, I think, ready to start lobbing, you know, 
attacks on each other. Yeah. You know, in the media, the 24-hour news cycle, it's like they need an ammunition. Yeah. To like vilify someone else. Yeah. I think like even that, right? Like there wasn't just violence in the Middle East. There's definitely violence on uh, in the States. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, you're right. Because you're right. Mm, we won't get into it, but... Well, there's always violence, but like for the same reasons, there is violence in the Middle East. But I think that there was a lot at this point, like fear mongering through news really just upshot tremendously, right? Like that, I already did not watch the news ever, but at this point in my life, I was like, absolutely not. I'm not going to go out. <laughs> the world is already so bad and I hate people in general because they're scary. I'm not about to feed into this cycle, yeah. you know? Uh, and yeah, it was just kind of like, all right, well, let's just pick and choose. Let's like, we're supposed to be together. And I think like some of these things were like probably presented one to distract from, um, the pointless war, but also to kind of be like, well, if we're all of one accord right now, if we're all trying to be like America is one thing, this is the time to push these things because maybe we can get them under the rug since everybody is like, you know? Yeah. It's, I think, yeah. It's like to, to pit people against each other almost, you know, yeah. it's like, people are poised and ready for a war, right? They're ready for a culture war in mm -hmm. addition to the real war going on, you know? Like, yeah. This is like one of the first culture wars I remember, you know? Mm -hmm. Like culture wars have existed for years, you know, decades. But like I remember the culture war being a thing here at this time, you mm -hmm. know? It's like it's all – to me it's just like it, it doesn't need to be a culture war. It could be a cultural – just a discourse, you yeah. know, a discussion. But – Everything yeah. is a war. Speaking of the Ground Zero line, uh, yeah. this track was originally called Conflict at Ground Zero. Had to change that. They changed it last minute when uh, the news reports started to refer to the site of the 9-11 terrorist attack in New York City as Ground yeah. Zero. But yeah. again, super prescient. Yeah. Uh, I will say just like a funny little bit there. It's not actually funny, but uh, there's a line. Some of us believe it may hold the key to treatment of disease and secrets highly guarded. And I just wrote Clone Wars. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if we're going to keep the theme of 2002, yeah. um, just tying out know, that one. Yep. The, yep. Yep. So, um, Clone Wars, this is, this is, I guess that was my whole thing when we were, I don't know if I said it on the podcast, but I definitely said what we're watching. It was like, this is, they're cloning people. Yeah. To... They're, they're ethical questions in Attack of the Clones as well. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe George Lucas was also, you know watching the news and hearing about stem cell mm, research maybe that's that's highly likely um the 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 line you alluded to earlier this embryonic clay wrapped in fierce debate would be thrown away or otherwise discarded yeah. that is actually a, a an argument of the pro stem cell research mm. crowd so i found this tidbit here a portion of stem cell researchers use embryos that were created but not used in in vitro fertility treatments to derive new stem cell lines. Most of these embryos are to be destroyed or stored for long periods of time, long past their viable storage life. In the United States alone, an estimated of at least 400,000 such embryos exist. So the, the for these researchers, they, sh they feel justified in using embryos that will otherwise just be thrown away to at least be used for this research to, you know, for, for medical purposes. Right. right? If if the the U.S. is already condoning in vitro fertility treatments that produce way more uh, embryos than are used, mm -hmm. why not take those embryos and put them to good use rather than just throw them away? Yeah. And I think that's one of those like points that 
John Petrucci like could see. He's like, mm-hmm. I, that, that makes sense to me. Yeah. You know, you know, is that enough to to convince me, a Christian man, that this is a moral ethical uh, process? Yeah. You like know? that one man's trash is another man's science. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, that's fair. I, and I think there are like a lot of places that like, right. <clears throat> I like that he includes these uh, talking points in them from both sides. But even in that, right, I feel like the chorus, it might be like the bridge, is kind of still pushing the reader or the listener to like, or not pushing, but like kind of like you have to make a choice. You have to decide. You have to um, take a side, um, uh, which the point that I read before, right, the, the humankind has reached point zero where it's like, do we look to our unearthly guide or our white coat hero searching for a cure? Right after that, it says, turn to the light. Don't be frightened of the shadows it creates. Turn to the light. Turning away would be a terrible mistake. And I'm like, I think that that's to me, that's like both sides. Like saying the same thing, like that is both of their closing arguments. Yeah. It's either a terrible mistake or it's a. Don't be frightened of the shadows. Yeah. Don't be either. Don't be afraid or. Yeah. Like both of them are saying, right. Like, yeah, like both of them are saying turn to the light. Right. Um, So like, I think science is saying turn to the light don't be afraid of like the things that are happening outside like because we are learning Mm -hmm. uh and the other side is saying turn to the light to turn away from it right like would be a terrible mistake saying turn to turn to god and see these things but both of them are saying hey look here look at the light right yeah and even the line that comes right after at least one of those um bridges or whatever um is uh we're reaching but have we gone too far and that's an interesting question i wrote like 20 23 check like would we say like now 20 years after this has come out right like not with stem like we can see even with your research right like no it wasn't too far it's very helpful and it is not the only viable way to get stem cells to help with restorative yeah uh, medical stuff but there are but i do think that like there are things that even here, like, we'll think about maybe not health stuff, but stuff where we're like, has science, like, there's always something. Has science gone too far? Or has technology gone too far? Or, yeah, like, yeah. how much is Alexa listening? Or uh, whatnot. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it's it's funny. Like, I, th- I I do think that the kind of Bush signing his executive order and just kind of, like, the pushback that the scientific community received for, for, these, for this research, mm-hmm. I think... Had benefits in that it pushed, it was like adversity, right? And mm-hmm. and scientists had to push through and find alternative methods to, uh, you know, to do this research with that that didn't rely on embryonic stem cells, you know. So mm-hmm. like, so specifically, and that's how we got like the breakthroughs with plur, you know induced pluripotency yeah. and stuff like that. So it's like, I think 
there's a health there needs to be a healthy degree of pushback mm-hmm. and ethical questions are good i think yeah. this is a good conversation to have but i think where we run afoul is when it becomes so vitriolic mm-hmm. so uh something else i like i like about this song is that it uses a lot of samples there are a lot of dream theater songs that just sample sources you know mm-hmm. like tv clips news clips uh to fill out the music a little bit to add another layer I mean, in this song, it's just a bunch of sound clips from news report, you know, probably like news interviews and pundits talking about like where they land on this issue. Um, I want to play just a brief segment of those. Okay. Because it's, you know, it's, it's, you get the whole spectrum. Mm -hmm. I used the uh, remember I told you in, in, in English class, we had to, you know, present our arguments using mm-hmm. different rhetorical devices, including logos, ethos and pathos. Mm-hmm. You get all three in those three clips. Yeah. You, know, you get the eth- ethos. There's a guy talking about like, his, you know, his ethical, the ethical questions involved. It's like, hey, you know, we, we there's promise in this in these treatments, but, mm-hmm. you know, we have to look at it ethically. And then the woman who's describing her paraplegic son. Yeah. Full pathos. Right. Yeah. This is all like a. a appealing to the hearts of you know and the the emotions of those mm-hmm. it's like oh man you know yeah it would be great to see my son walk again yeah that kind of thing and then the last guy doesn't know what he's talking about <laughs> that was just an example of some guy who you know ego he, he <laughs> ego <laughs> he lacks logos he lacks the, the facts yeah you know he we're just injecting cells into people's brains it's like that's that's very no <laughs> it's a very reductive way to describe what they're doing sir i'm sorry i think you're thinking of one flu's over the cuckoo's nest i'm just saying that's uh that's the problem with the 24-hour news cycle. A lot of pundits, sometimes they just don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. And they have to fill air. So even though they haven't researched a topic very well, they have to have an opinion anyway. No. No, thank you. Yeah. Don't put me on air. If I don't know, I'm going to say it. Like, oh, bye. <laughs> the last line I want to highlight for me says, Miracle potential, sanctity of life, faced against each other, we're divided. <laughs> Harvesting existence only to destroy careless me together we are sliding someone else's future for this frozen still someone else's fate we are deciding That's America, man. And it's yeah. been America for as Ever. long as I can remember. We're divided. And it's like, I think this song kind of illuminates what's divided us. You know, it's not even the issues that divided us. It's like the media has divided us. Mm-hmm. 
you know, like kind of the, the, the injection of politics into questions has divided mm-hmm. us. The, the attitudes, the way we talk to each other has divided us. Yeah. You know, the way these issues are presented as like these right and wrong. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, there's no, you know, there's no complexity. There's no gray area. It's like, it's right or wrong. Yeah. That's divided us. And that's that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, where do you stand on this issue? Uh, I think I, I, at this point, induced pluripotency has made it so that I feel completely justified in saying uh, stem cell research is good. Yeah. I, 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 I support induced pluri, pluripotent stem cell research. Yeah. <laughs> Do it. Read a book. Oh, books are hard. <laughs> Do they have it in audiobook form? <laughs> anyway, that's all I have to say about the great debate. I think we had quite a nice debate. <laughs> The hits don't stop there. Anyway, uh, it's now time. Why are we hitting people? It's now time for the big one. The big one. The debate wasn't the big one? No, the 42-minute song is the oh. big one. Let's, let's start that up again. <laughs> Let that go on in the background. So, yep, <laughs> that is the... Again, some more of the overture to Six Degrees of Inner Turbulence, the 42-minute track. Yay. We are not talking about a full 42-minute song Absolutely today. We are not. not. So the title track of this album was released as eight separate CD tracks, presumably for ease of navigation, much like what was done on uh, the band's side project, Liquid Tension Experiments, 28-minute mm-hmm. epic, three-minute warning, mm-hmm. which we talked about in our 1998 music episode. So there's eight individual tracks right on here song. and, and we're, we're listening to overture which is track one it's instrumental what yes. i did was i let you i had you listen to the whole thing mm-hmm. how was that it was a car ride <laughs> it was an entire car ride to la and i had you decide two of those eight tracks mm-hmm. so t- we're talking two movements from six degrees of turbulence not the whole thing yes just two mm-hmm so Six Degrees of Inventor Turbulence, before I get into it, it is a song that presents multiple individual. It's like tells eight, uh, I guess, a number of different stories. Each track tells a different story of an individual mm-hmm. who is suffering from a certain mental illness, you know, or, or a neurodeficiency. You didn't a tell neuro- me that. That's, that's what it is. I neuro- mean, that makes sense. Yeah, a neurodivergence of some kind. Um, so... Uh, I had you choose choose two, two songs that present two different types of mental illness. Great. I don't think you knew that. No. But uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk about them anyway. I, I I'm curious to see what you thought of these songs, not knowing that, mm-hmm. because they they are explicit. John mm-hmm. Petru- John Petrucci and Mike Portnoy wrote a number of these songs, and they all directly involve a certain type of mental illness. Everyone's different. Everyone's different. So. First song that we're going to talk about, you chose this. It's a song called The Test That Stumped Them All. Which I'm quite... You know, I'm quite interested that you you chose this one because this is definitely the most metal movement in the whole Six Degrees of Inner Turbulence song. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is this is them at their hardest. 
<laughs> edgiest because the other songs are very soft, piano, classical, mm-hmm. you know, folksy. This is straight up metal music. Why'd you why'd you choose this one? What I do you, don't what? mind metal music. I liked I liked the riffs and I liked the the drumming like this tempo that it kept up the whole time. Like I like that in my music. The, the only reason I don't listen to your music is like I can't hear the lyrics, <laughs> and that is an important part for me. So I chose it because of the sound. Like I could catch a couple of the lyrics when we listened through it, because uh, I wasn't reading along because we were driving and I didn't want to, want to throw up in the car. Uh, but I liked the driving beat. What did you think the song was about? You chose this one in particular. And w- w- what did you think the song was about not knowing that it was about someone with mental illness? Well, here's the thing. I sort of did, but I also didn't. Like, I didn't... So, like, I was... How it starts off, standing in the darkness, waiting for the light, the smell of pure adrenaline burning in the night, random blending, flashes, aiming at the stage, intro tape begins to roll, igniting sonic rage. And so I was like, okay, are they at a concert? Is this about like about to be on stage? You're like pumping up before. So I thought this was about the band for a little bit, right? Uh, Not for a little bit. I did. Um, And when they're talking about um, the hoping to find in me the answers to the test that stumped them all. And I was like, how to make a hit? Question mark. (laughs) Like, because I was like, oh, this is a concert. But at some point, and there's a couple other like places where I was like, I guess that could be a record label. But at the end of a line, um, it's actually part of a, it's the, the end of some other person talking, saying he lives in a world of fiction and uh, really could use some help. We have just the place to fix him to save him from himself. The boys are simply crazy. And I put diagnosing someone, uh, someone for your own benefit or profit. This is disgusting. (laughs) You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Yeah, you were you were close. And then curled up in darkness, searching for the light. And I'm like, I wrote from the fetal position, needing help or hope still. Like you're not, you're just curled up in the darkness, but you're still looking for something to help you, uh, looking for light, for hope, for something. I was like, uh, and then a little way down, like I'm like reading all, I know we're going to go through this, but, um, random urine testing, red pill, red pill, pink pill, blue counseling and therapy, writing not a clue. And it says, the way you stop feeling like a person, the way, the more you are treated like a product, which is kind of a combination of the two things. I was like, okay, if this is about like the band, 
this part is like, well, we're just going to figure out like how to make you do the thing that you should be doing. Uh, that, that, that reminds me of Pink Floyd's The Wall. Mm, but, uh, that's, oh, yeah. That's not right. Yeah. But you, so you caught you caught like a medical, like a, mm -hmm. like some kind of medical uh, angle. Yes. There's there's medical uh, uh, words. Throughout all of it. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. And you're right. So this is about diagnosis of something. Yes. This song is explicitly as it, it, it is it autism no it is schizophrenia ah uh, okay that also was my next one because the living in fiction which i didn't read he lives in a world of fiction you could use the help but um i'm not gonna i'm not gonna fully guess on some of these things because a oh, lot I, of i totally get it yeah because a lot of them i was just like there's a reason you know hey kids i wrote a book you know my book and in my book i specifically was steering away from like anything and people are like is this schizophrenia i was like no i'm not about to um put in more of those stereotypes about stuff when I have not researched this and schizophrenia has a lot of different levels and a lot of different diagnoses. So yep. I feel hesitant to say something. I was just like, I, there was a lot, I was like, that one line sounds like what media portrays schizophrenia as. Mm -hmm. And I was like, mm. Yep. <laughs> so just so we all are on the same page, schizophrenia is a mental disorder characterized by continuous or relapsing episodes of psychosis. Major symptoms include hallucinations, typically hearing voices, delusions, and disorganized thinking. Other symptoms include social withdrawal, decreased emotional expression, and apathy. So you 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 highlighted a few stanzas that I highlighted regarding mm -hmm. what I, you know, schizophrenia. Another one that I highlighted is, this is, a lot of this song is spoken from the position of doctors trying to diagnose this individual. Mm -hmm. uh, why don't we try shock treatment? Yeah. It really might do some help. We have just the tools to fix him, to save him from himself. Yeah. We can't just let him leave here. Why don't we try shock treatment? We have just the tools to fix him. Like shock treatment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Random urine testing, like you mentioned. Uh, the The... Keeping this person behind hollow walls, mm -hmm. hoping to find the answers to the test that stumped them all. I will say I did in the last segment make an allusion to one flew over the cuckoo's nest. You and did. Now I, feel, now I feel bad. <laughs> That's where we, we are in that mode now. Oh, no. Depeche mode. Yeah. So the diagnosis and treatment of schizophrenia have a messy history. Yeah. Yeah. In the 1930s, for example, a number of shock procedures, mm -hmm. which induce seizures, convulsions, or even comas, were used to treat schizophrenia. I hope you see us using uh, air quotes for the word treat. <laughs> insulin shock involved injecting large doses of insulin to <sighs> induce comas, which in turn pr produced hypoglycemia and convulsions. The use of electricity to induce seizures was in use as electroconvulsive therapy by 1938. <laughs> Science is wild, guys. Really horrible stuff. It yeah. really is. And like another crazy treatment that they use to try and treat these people psychosurgery including the lobotomy frontal lobotomy yep. carried out from the 1930s until the 1970s Oof. in the united states Oof. it is now recognized as a human rights abuse yes Eek. like we just got off talking about how like science has done a lot to figure out how to make stem cells without being invasive in ways that are like blah blah blah, blah. but like to get there People do some messed up stuff yeah. in the, like, I can't even, oh, if we're going to have a talk. <laughs> like, oh, man. Like, the people who are not protect, like, 
we have a lot of more protections in place now, but you know, people are skeevy, but like unprotected peoples, uh, that being people of color and people of uh, mental disabilities and lower statures in society have always been used as rab lab rats. Yep. And to get to where we are to know what is useful, helpful and stuff, we have, we, and I do say we, even though I was not there and I'm not a part of it, but I am in this system that has benefited from them, from this. And so I acknowledge that in being here, I do have a place in a hand in these kind of things, especially if we don't make efforts to stop this kind of stuff happening, not just in our culture, but in other cultures. But like we are here with the medical breakthroughs and knowledge that we have because of some heinous things. Yeah. Some terrible, terrible things to understand stuff that we don't, that we didn't. So th this song kind of sticks out amongst six degrees of inner turbulence in that the, all the other songs kind of deal like on a human story. Mm -hmm. Like they, they're, they're telling the story of individual individual who has a condition. Right. Right. This song is less about that and more about like our messy history of trying to diagnose and treat this psychosis, whatever right. they, they didn't even know what it was. Yeah. Like um, I, I have a few facts later on about like, I, I the one I like to think about is a, uh, women you know and i think about there's a there's a, a short story called the yellow wallpaper mm -hmm. people at the time if women were suffering from uh schizophrenia or not even schizophrenia they were just suffering from something else it's like they would just scientists doctors would just write it off as oh it's, just, it's exhaustion mm. she's she's trying too hard you know she's not she's not spending enough time in the house and working in the kitchen yeah you know, she's not spending enough time with the kids or pleasing her husband yep just put her in bed Make her stay in bed until she gets better. Yeah. And it was like this horrible, like, you know, uh, way for the, the patriarchy to control the women. Yep. You know, like gaslighting. It's gaslighting. The, 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 where the, I think it was the story where gaslighting came from. Mm -hmm. It's, it's the same yeah. uh, situation. It was, literally, it was literally gas filling up the house that was slowly driving her insane yeah. because you the, can't inhale that stuff. No one's in the house. The lights didn't turn on. He's like, I saw it. I saw it. Yeah. It's, it's so schizo like, honestly, this is fitting for the most metal arrangement in the, in the piece, because this is very much like a horror movie yeah. thing. And like metal music has its roots in music. That's meant to scare people. Mm -hmm. It's like a horror movie. So when you're describing horrible treatments to people involving like shock treatments, lobotomies, you know, uh, all that stuff that that's that's scary. Yeah. Human rights abuses as treatments is scary. Yeah. And it reminds me of a a Slayer song. Slayer's like, you know, thrash mm -hmm. metal legends. They have a song about the angel of death, uh, the the Nazi uh, yeah, yeah, a yeah. scientist who who, you know, experimented on on people, you mm -hmm. know, captives. Like, it was a that's a horror movie subject. Mm -hmm. And sa same with these scientists from you know as as far back as the 30s and before who are confronted with this very like confusing uh unknown condition mm -hmm. and just grasping at straws to treat it just yeah. coming up with horrible horrible treatments to fix people mm -hmm. to fix them <laughs> i mean it's an important so like thing to talk about absolutely and and i think that it's interesting 
that at no point is this from the point of view of the person suffering. Yeah, it others them. And I think that's that goes into the history of schizophrenia in general. It's like these yeah. are these are these people are beyond themselves. They're yeah. like the, the the line I highlighted here. The boy is simply crazy. Yeah. Suffering from delusions. We honestly think that maybe he might need an institution. Yeah. It's like for for society treatment of schizophrenia meant like we need these people to just go away yeah we need to we need to isolate them they're they're insane they're they're you know burdens on society yeah they need to just be put away that is that's it's it's for their own good you know mm-hmm. that was how they justified it oh it's for their own good and that goes back to every like one flew over the cuckoo's nest and all these horror movies set in mental institutions yeah you know it's a it's, shutter island i think that's one it's an it's a tale as old as time yeah it's a very tropey uh horror movie setting isn't there a game outlast that's the same thing yep Yep. Yep. sorry (laughs) oh there's tons of them yeah um i have some other horrible things that people have used schizophrenia to do fun are you prepared no from the 1960s until 1989 psychiatrists in the ussr and the eastern Bloc diagnosed thousands of people with something called sluggish schizophrenia without signs of psychosis based on the quote assumption that symptoms would later appear oh no now discredited, the diagnosis provided a convenient way to confine political dissidents. Uh, so they just use sluggish schizophrenia, which is like early signs of schizophrenia. Or, you know, just like, you're schizophrenic. Yeah. You're a, you know, you're, you're anti-communist. We're going to just, we're just going to institutionalize you, you, you know. Uh, but, the, you know, this, this was not, <laughs> this is, this is not just an Eastern Bloc thing. No. This happened here too. Oh, no. I Bef- mean, yeah. Before the 1960s, nonviolent petty criminals and women were at times diagnosed with schizophrenia, categorizing the latter as ill for not performing their duties as wives or mothers. And I talked about that. Yeah. In the mid to late 60s, African-American men were characterized as hostile and aggressive and diagnosed as schizophrenic at much higher rates than others. Yep. With civil rights and black power activism labeled as delusions. Yep. Yep. So, so if, like, honestly, schizophrenia and treatments of schizophrenia were a lot of ways used as a political tool to control people, mm-hmm. and which is also another horror movie subject. Mm-hmm. That's why I was like, that's why this is such a metal song. Yeah, it's like horrible and scary, and the the history of schizophrenia, more than just like the bur- you know, just the you know, I'm sure the anguish, the pain that it puts people suffering mm-hmm. from it from, but it's also just like this, just this horrible tool. It is <laughs> for and, those in power, and that like even. Not the like an equally bad portion of that, right? Like, is that using this as a tool to further your your own goals or power as an institution means that you're not actually putting any scientists on helping to like because whether you believe it is real or not, you're not imprisoning people who actually need help, who actually have this diagnosis and have these things that they're suffering with. So it's just taking longer to get the people people what they actually need to it's counterproductive yeah yeah so that's the, the test of something all is that all you have to say on that yep <laughs> Ugh. it's real it's 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 scary stuff this is least like any of the other songs in six degrees of inner turbulence okay sure i feel like the great debate was just as heavy <laughs> i feel well, like I mean, compared to all you no know, i'm talking about the song six oh degrees of inner turbulence. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah this one is very like scientific but pseudoscience mm. you know it's like talking about the methods to treat it as opposed to what it's like to have it right anyway let's move on to something a little bit more light but also you know it's still kind of heavy given the subject matter the song is called solitary shell mm-hmm. 
already a night and day difference from Test and Stump Them All. <laughs> yeah. Much more folksy, much more <laughs> progressive rock, you know, old school 70s stuff, synthesizers. It's very light and fluffy. It's a good set. This is a very pretty song. It I, makes me think of like a cozy game. Yeah. Like I was going to go and play like Cozy Grove right now. <laughs> Just do, 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 plant some trees. Yeah, it's it's super chill. This is such a nice, pretty song uh, musically. Mm-hmm. Like I said, this song is about someone with a uh, condition. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say mental illness. It's a little bit more complicated than that. No, I was going to say either depression or dissociation. No, actually. Hmm. Even though dissociation is another song on, in the, the, the whole thing. Hmm. Uh, this song is about someone with autism. Oh, that's awesome. More of a neurodivergence. It's a yeah. spectrum. It's... There are many different types of autism. Yeah, like that, more, that's, more I, than, I literally wouldn't have got I was like, sorry, autism has so many levels that yeah, I was like, that was, wasn't going to even. <laughs> it's one of those like big tent things where like I think and I'll talk a little bit more about how like I feel this song like is it effective as a representation of autism or not? You know, is it even should it even have tried mm. um, it, it, going into like I'll go into that. But I do think that autism is such a big tent mm-hmm. that it's hard to get a represent like a single representation of what it is unless you read the incident with the dog in the nighttime but even that it's like (laughs) that is just one person's experience with autism yeah yeah, there there are so many different types yeah you know people you know there there are people about people with autism have various different uh so it has different levels of severity Mm -hmm. uh they have different ways of living and coping with it or you know just like you know living their life it's like it's a very very diverse yeah uh, divergent even yeah yeah Yeah, i i think that like like looking at the first stanzas i can see where this autism uh where this could read autism just by some basic research should i should Um, i read what autism is before you do that sure real quick the autism spectrum often referred to as just autism or in the context of a professional diagnosis autism spectrum disorder or autism spectrum condition is a neurodevelopmental condition characterized by difficulties in social interaction, verbal and nonverbal communication, and the presence of repetitive behavior, restricted interests, hyper or hyposensitivity to sensory stimuli, and an insistence on sameness or strict adherence to routine. Mm-hmm. There's a lot there. Yeah. You know. There's a lot and a lot of ors. Lot it, of they di- should be and or. Many levels of it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I think even just the something that wasn't in there, just the very first is uh, lyrically, right? Uh, he seemed no different from the rest, just healthy, a healthy, normal boy. His mama always did her best and his daddy, he was his daddy's pride and joy. He learned to walk and talk on time, but never cared much to be held. Um, and he would steadily decline into a solitary shell. And this just makes me think about how normally children are not diagnosed with autism until between like three and four. That's the, and that's that's when the symptoms start to show. Yeah, like because it's such an internal condition yeah. that um you don't normally see it. like as a baby you're just a happy little baby. Yeah, you know, well, just like you're just figuring out the world. Like right? yeah, you're, you, so most signs of autism begin to show around that time yeah, when, when exactly. they're able to walk around and interact with others and in yes. the world around them more uh, individual like uh, independently. Yes, exactly. So I think like no hearing you say it's autism like oh yeah I can see it pretty clearly in these first two stanzas like what they were going for if autism is the goal. He seemed no different from the rest Just a healthy, normal boy 
And then as, as a boy, he was considered somewhat odd, kept to himself most of the time. He would daydream in and out of his own world, but in every other way, he was fine. He's saying that those aren't fine? <laughs> I don't know. I think, right, like, um, it feels discourteous to like uh he was he was considered fine in every other way and the ways he was not considered fine is that he was a little odd which probably just meant like i don't want to play with power rangers i want to sit here and draw on the ground i want to stack up blocks i want to stack up blocks i want to do these things which was like that's not odd also the child is being quiet deal with your problem children (laughs) um uh he kept to himself most of the time like that happens like people are yeah me too introverts uh even at a young age, you can be that. And he would daydream in and out of, let people think like the world sucks. Let me daydream and and deal with my, let me be happy. But like that those things were considered not fine, <laughs> you know, like, and that's not by the, the like, who I don't know who wrote this one, but John Petrucci wrote John. this one. John wrote this whole album. <laughs> no, no, it's it's Mike and John. Yeah. Basically. They're, the, they're the Paul McCartney, John Lennon duo. Of Dream Theater, but from they this love point each on. other. They do love each other. Yeah, <laughs> unlike the other two. Well, they they have up and down, just like John and Paul. Yeah, do. because you know, working together with your friends is lovely, but also it's work. Um, but yeah, so I think that like these kind of things, like how you start to poke and prod at stuff that's like neurodivergent, right? That is not same Z's as though it is bad Z's. I I I think this song represents a lot of people with autism that and from my experience it's mm-hmm. like i've had a lot of autistic friends you mm-hmm. know uh, uh friends with asperger's friends mm-hmm. with uh you know down syndrome you know it's like and they're all different like i yeah. i can't like label like this song applies to every single one of them but elements of the song kind of relate to different people that yeah. you know i've been friends with you know and it's like i think the struggle of this song is that it tries to be representative of everyone without mm-hmm. being represented to anyone <laughs> you know mm, yeah. you know what i mean yeah it, it's too it's it's too difficult to say there's a single autistic experience because mm-hmm. there isn't. And the early parts of the song, I feel like, are pretty like common, you know, like the the baby showing signs, mm-hmm. you know, within the second, third year. Right. Like, that's that's common. Right. right. Labeling someone as somewhat odd, I guess, is common. But mm-hmm. that's like anybody, you know. But that's the thing. I'm also remembering back in like school when I was in elementary school, right? I was in elementary school when this song came out. Mm -hmm. I did not know this song existed, but I was in elementary school at this time. And people were pretty, you used the word discourteous. Mm -hmm. And I would say that people were very children, myself included. And I wish I was better. You know, Mm -hmm. I wish I was a better person when I was nine. Mm -hmm. But people were very rude, uh, dismissive, uh, to those with neurodivergence, it was mm-hmm. like, we, we, you know, it's just like using name calling, using the R word, right? Yeah. Just casually yeah. for everything, you know, and like the, the world has changed this. But back then, it's like as as kids, you saw someone who was different. They became a victim. You know, they, were, they, they became a target. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I, I, obviously the same because um, 
we are product of our society and children are just little versions of the adults of parroting things that they hear yeah uh and not really liking things that are different so we definitely have the same kind of right like i definitely was not a better person um as a child i was not even a person but for the same like neurodivergencies but also physical ones right like we definitely had kids with wheelchairs and yeah. braces yeah. and stuff like that and they just were great kids yeah great people i can remember like with my brain fully feel you know like but that didn't matter when you were that age and i think like even in this like rereading this knowing that the intent was to make it about um autism the autism spectrum if not somebody really autistic it really more paints how society views them more than anything sure. else and almost in the same way as the test that stumped them all because there's a lot of things like in like stuff that i wrote right like and also there was something here i was like oh i guess i did know it was a, it was definitely on some kind of spectrum because at one point i wrote like uh they're being they're unmasking which is a term but but um I think there's some stuff, right? Like, so Monday, he's a Monday morning lunatic, which I checked because I was like, yeah, me too. <laughs> I love Monday mornings. Um, disturbed from time to time. And I wrote, who decides what is disturbed, right? Like, what does that mean? <laughs> Especially when we're using this it, as as this, it, it seems like it's labeling it as this kind of other, a fit, if something else, right? Yeah. Like, uh, and then the next line, lost within himself. And I wrote, why are we considered lost when we want to be alone, right? Because that's what it feels like when you're like, oh, you're lost, you're disturbed. And it's like, can I just have time with me? So a lot of this feels like what society is saying, like, well, you shouldn't like Monday morning lunatic. You shouldn't like Mondays. You should just be calm and it's like annoyed with the rest of us, disturbed from time to time. Like, hey, can you just chill? Can you be at one level the entire time? Lost within himself. Can you talk? Hey, we're in a, a social situation. Why aren't you talking? Why are you sitting by on a wall by yourself eating when I'm trying to interact with you? Temporary catatonic. You you mean they're just quiet? Like a temporary catatonic madman on occasion. He's a Monday morning Right. And like, so that's what I put. It was like quiet with spikes um, and spikes of energy when unmasked. Like we can be excited about stuff, but like you're like, no, you have to be one level at all times. It's like, well, this doesn't interest me, interest you. I can sit here quietly. And then when I am interested in something, I can get a lot of energy. Like, why does it matter? So I think a lot of the song when I'm reading it now feels more descriptive of like, how people are saying, mm. and this is how you're wrong. And yeah, this is yeah. like, he wasn't the, going back to that line where like, but he was fine in every other way. But now let me detail you the ways he is no longer fine. Okay. He's not fitting in. I, I, that makes sense. Yeah. And I think that makes me feel a little bit better about like the, the, to, the, the tone, I guess, or the, mm -hmm. the point of view of the speaker of the song. Yeah. So I really like the song musically. I love the way it sounds. And I, I do like see a lot of people that I could, you know, kind of, 
I, I see shadows of people I know mm-hmm. who would fit some of these stanzas, right? Right. But the chorus, when he says, he's a Monday morning lunatic and a temporary catatonic madman. These days I hear that and I'm like, that's a little offensive. Mm-hmm. Like, and from your, from the way you discussed it, I, I, I feel a little bit more at ease about it if we're reading this as a song about what society views people with this condition as right because mm-hmm. it's like yeah i mean society is rotten you know and like society can be pretty indelicate to describe this condition mm-hmm. um and i i feel like the song is pretty indelicate these days you know yeah it's, it hasn't aged very well uh when you're calling someone a lunatic or a madman right yeah just to give you know to get a bit more background you know and get other people's perspective i reached out to some of our friends who worked in the mental health industry, mm-hmm. and who worked uh, with kids in spe- with special needs. Mm-hmm. Talk to our friend Sergio. Talk to our friend Jorge. Okay. So just to get their perspectives on the lyrics of this song, as mm-hmm. someone who's worked really closely with kids with autism. Right. You know? So Jorge said that for him, because he, he works with kids in special needs in school, mm-hmm. and something that he notices a lot, and he mentioned this as a pattern where uh, because a lot of these kids are very routine oriented, right? Mm-hmm. It's like they, they need the same routine every single day. Going from school on Friday to the weekend really throws off their routine. Mm. The, the transition from weekend to week, from weekday to weekend back to weekday is a lot. Is yeah. a lot. And so a lot of kids that he's worked with have developed a routine where Sunday is their day to let off a lot of steam mm. because – they know that the next day they have to go back to school and their routine's going to get messed up again. Mm-hmm. So they have to let out a lot of their energy on Sunday in order to adjust to Monday. Mm-hmm. And that's how some of his students have coped. He also knows that some students haven't developed that, uh, you know, that, that system, you know, to cope mm-hmm. with it. So there are a lot of kids who come in Monday morning and they just have a lot of energy and the routine's a little thrown off and they just, you know, are very, uh, eccentric or or just you know disruptive that right. day and so that's where the i think the morning monday morning lunatic line has basis in reality mm-hmm. because he said that's when he sees a lot of his students at their most rambunctious rambunctious mm-hmm. yeah and i i and he he said this he did read the lyrics i don't know if he was just like quoting the line from the song mm-hmm. but to me it, it felt like he didn't remember that this was the term he used mm-hmm. but he said he's like yeah they're like you know this is like little madmen running around on monday mornings <laughs> you know and that, that's what he says mm-hmm. he, he the song used the word madman mm-hmm. and so to me that felt like oh wow yeah even you know teachers who work with these kids on a daily basis can s- say like oh what happened to you today you know why are you why are you acting like such madman today mm-hmm. you know I guess that that's true. Yeah. But when I talked to Sergio, he also agreed with me that maybe lunatic and madman were a little offensive mm-hmm. terms today to use to yeah. describe people with these conditions. Um, indelicate, I think, is a good way to describe it. Mm-hmm. Ableist is potential. Yeah. You know, like the way I want to say, like the words Monday morning lunatic and temporary catatonic madman, I would say are either at at best good intentioned but indelicate mm-hmm. and at worst offensive offensive ableist yeah without meaning to be mm-hmm. i hear you i get that i i could also see well at least with our friend saying it like because i still i call people madmen <laughs> so like saying it as like a little 
buff, like, ah, you, you're mad. Yeah. But I think that audience and target is always important to consider, right? They're, I don't call you baby for a reason. <laughs> well, he, he told me, he said this, if, if, a, if a, a parent of, of an autistic child were to read this song, read those lyrics, they might be offended. Mm. That's what he told me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I actually had considered asking some other friends with autistic children, and I did not. Good job. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I felt like that was a, mm. a bad route to go. Advice is sound, guys. Get advice. Yeah. So I, I even hearing that and seeing that you talk to experts. <laughs> I got experts' opinions. Uh, yeah, more and more I dig down. It's like, this doesn't sound like it's about the person. It sounds like it's about society's society viewing this person yeah and i think that's a fair assessment uh the last bit of the song describes this individual as they've grown older you know as a man like what's the what's the line where it starts as a man as a man he was a danger to himself fearful and sad most of the time right. uh and then right before that he struggled to get through his day he was helplessly behind mm -hmm. right he struggled to get through his day. He was helplessly behind. He poured himself onto the page, writing for hours at a time. As a man, he was a danger to himself. Fearful and sad most of the time. I knew a gentleman, a friend of ours. Uh, he he was he was he he moved into the same house that I did when I had roommates. Mm -hmm. You know, so I, I like he was also friends with my old roommates yeah. and stuff like that. So, uh, really, really great guy. Mm -hmm. Like you know, really nice. But he he saw, he was definitely on the spectrum, mm -hmm. pr pretty severely uh, there. You know, later in life. You know, he's maybe twenty, thirty something. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, like wonderful human being incredibly like just nice and kind right mm -hmm. however there were moments uh where he would just have a an episode where he would just completely shut down mm -hmm. stop he, he he wouldn't respond he wouldn't talk he would just stare straight ahead blank faced and it was scary mm -hmm. so when when i see the you know helpless right um danger to himself fearful you mm -hmm. know that, that calls to mind moments where it's like as someone who's there to like you know be his friend and it's like i'm i'm, I'm scared for my friend because it's it, I, I don't know what's happening to him you yeah know? he's just like completely shut down yeah i like solitary shell that's what it felt like he's mm -hmm. just like he's not home right right he's not there and he was just it, it happened more and more frequently the more i knew him you mm -hmm. know it was, it was getting worse and worse um and as, as once he he got he, he would come back you know mm -hmm. and like not know what would happen mm -hmm. he was like how long was I you know how long did that happen I don't I don't even know what happened you know it was it's it's scary to see a yeah. friend like that and it got too so bad where he had to he had to move back home yeah 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 that uh, sounds just, like dissociation though but yeah <laughs> just to take care of himself but I don't know I I see a lot of him in in that last stanza mm -hmm. um, again this is not representative of everybody. With you know who's on the spectrum, but I, I do I do see truth in some of this. Mm -hmm. So I think no, absolutely right. Like you totally see that, and I I'm not going to like say that no, you're wrong. That didn't happen. But I do think that like 
when people aren't given the tools to help themselves, but rather this is brushed off. Mm-hmm. That's that's where we, you know, we're we're in a we are now in a place in our generation and where the world is moving where these things aren't rushed to the rug. It's like, oh, you have something. Let's let's go. Let's get therapy for it. Let's see if there's medication for you. If that's the route you want to take. If not, like let's figure out some things to what what are some things that can anchor you. Uh, let's get you a a response uh, animal, a dog that will be able to see these things coming to make sure you're sitting, be able to things right like yeah. tools now yeah. because I can very much see uh, like. That being really t- scary, right? Yeah. And that not just for you, but for for him as well, because he wasn't given the tools or opportunity to know. And like, I'm glad he moved home, and I really hope he was able to get the help that he needed from yeah, his family. Um, but I think, like, when I think about things like that, it's like that's because you spent all like because right, like that's because like in these other verses, you spent time just like poking at him rather than like really talk right like it's temporary cat attacking manman on occasion when will he break out of his shell his solitary shell and it's just like that feels very much like you're just putting it on him and not saying like oh yeah you know i get what you're saying yeah in 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 the song not not, and and in how people treat um a lot of these disorders it's kind of like well you need to figure that out because it's too much for me right like uh even in that same line he struggled to get through his day uh, and was helplessly behind. He poured himself on the page waiting for hours at a time. Um, and the struggling, I will care. Okay, I wrote <laughs> the struggle to get through your day. I was like, yeah, because people are trying. <laughs> it's hard to deal with people, but like, it's really difficult when people don't know your cues, right? Like there are definitely people in my life that I'm like, okay, well, if we want to get through this day, I'm not going to react like that. Like, I'm not going to be loud in this way. I'm not, while there's a lot of sensory stuff happening right now, if I would like to continue to have a conversation and for this person to feel safe, we're going to move this into a different room. Like, you know, like it doesn't have to be a struggle if like people are able to speak up and say like, Hey, this isn't really working for me. Could we try something different? Yeah. Um, and different things like that. Like he was helplessly behind, like, because people are like the ableism there, the ableism there. Like yeah. you don't have to be helplessly behind if you have the tools to allow you to like be where you on the same footing as the yeah. people around you and stuff like that. Um, and just like a little bit later, he was drifting in and out of sanity, but in every other way he was fine. <laughs> like that's a line. It is a line. Yeah. <laughs> and n- again, no offense to the writers, right? Like this is, but this is very much a cultural perception in the early 2000s of something we were not researching, or if we were, people were not looking for the research. <laughs> That's why I, like I said, I think at best, this is a well-intentioned examination. Mm-hmm. And it, it, this is not the last time that John Petrucci in particular has confronted mental illness as a subject for his songs. I think mm-hmm. it's something that interests him. I don't know if, I don't know if he has kids. Yeah. I, I, I have no idea, but I'm just like, it is, it is a, an interest to him. Yeah. He, he writes a lot of songs about it. Specifically, he likes, he writes a lot of songs about uh, PTSD mm-hmm. and veterans, obviously, because yeah. I mean, we're in a war that would mm-hmm. last 20 years uh, right now. But um, I think he gets better at examining this stuff without going into stereotype mm-hmm. or without. Well, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's where this falls short is mm-hmm. there's a lot of stereotyping and a lot of generalizations made. Um, but at the same time, I think he was literally just trying to shine light on something that doesn't yeah. really get. It's not that, you know, you don't hear a lot of songs about autism. Yeah. You know, and I can only think of a few movies or, or other pieces of media that deal with it in particular. Mm-hmm. You know, you mentioned 
was it the tale of the dog in the nighttime? Oh yeah, the curious, uh, the curious case, incident of the dog in the nighttime. A curious incident of the dog in the nighttime, which is a book written from the point of view of someone with autism. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's great. It is really good. It's it's really. Uh, I, I think it's the the guy who wrote it. I think did a lot of research. Or he did a lot with of research, kids. and he worked with uh, autistic kids. He himself is not autistic. Right, and I feel like that was more delicate. Mm-hmm. It was done more with more. Uh, finesse yeah and you could understand the reasoning behind like you were like you would be like i follow how you got here because i was with you every step of the way and we are in your mind but what <laughs> either way yeah it's it's difficult to do the same thing in a song yeah even if that song is uh almost six minutes long yeah still not enough time to like really dig in and handle find it. it yeah and i think there's something to be said about the fact that he attempted it right like that yeah. this is a, right it's got to start somewhere, and the first is always going to be of its time, which isn't always like this was trying to be delicate. It was this was trying to be those things, but I think it was also in a time where people were saying the R word slurs, and yeah. slurs and stuff like that, and that that would and that was considered okay. Where we were doing it, and we were children, and we were seeing it on TV, and we we're seeing it in music and stuff like that, yep. and we we can only do like what is around us if there are very few of us that are like above us like above everyone not just above it but like trendsetters to the point of like move moving it forward right like this was a a set like i think making a 40 minute song about different uh neurodivergencies and mental illnesses which are two separate things um is so Forward thinking and avant-garde. I don't even know if I'm using that word right. I don't think that's right. (laughs) So forward thinking and and great, right? But it is still of its time. Yes, I agree. I think that that I think that shuts the the door or or that you know closes the book on six degrees of inner turbulence. Yeah. So we'll find out where this book went on which shelf from here. You 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 recommend six degrees of inner turbulence, the album and the song. Mmm. Mmm. Yeah, you can listen to it if you'd like. I recommend it because I mean, I here's the, I, I don't think it's the most approachable Dream Theater album mm-hmm. out there. Um, it's definitely it has some heart. Like you know, you're gonna listen to it. You're like, when do they start singing? You know, I, I was just, I remember some, we put this CD on and like a friend of mine was driving me home and they're like, when did they start singing? You know, and it's like, yeah, it takes a while. By the time you get home, when you're out of the car. Uh, but I I, I still think all like. It's interesting. It's smart. It's definitely presenting uh, uh, subjects that aren't explored in song very often, mm-hmm. you know. So for that, I think it's a novelty, and the music's real good. It's like it's, Dream Theater. You never lose on like the music front. They're, yeah, they're they're hitting it all. You know, they're they're nailing it. Hitting o- it ultra precise. Anyway, what did the world think? Six Degrees of Inner Turbulence peaked at number 46 on the Billboard 200 chart and peaked at number one on the Billboard Top Internet Albums chart. It's pretty good. Ooh, that is pretty good. It also Considering pe- it was leaked. Yeah. It also peaked within the top 10 in Finland, Hungary, and Italy. All right. The album received favorable reviews from critics with praise going to its instrumentality, ambition, creativity, and diversity of themes. Mm. Rolling Stone, for example, praised the album's quote, musical virtuosity and technical perfection. Hmm. And of the lyrics, they said, quote, despite the seriousness of the material, lyrics are poetically matter of fact, but never morose or too heavy handed. Hmm. Entertainment Weekly called the album, quote, grandiose and uplifting, despite its angst and heavier sound compared to traditional prog rock. 
quote, it's well done, but at times too dank and heavy metal fueled to qualify as more instrumentality diverse prog. It was too dank. Too dank. The University of Washington's Daily said, quote, what separates Dream Theater from the rest is that its take on the concept is less artsy fartsy. It manages to have its art and rock it too. Cute. And in 2015, Prog Report ranked Six Degrees of Inner Turbulence number 14 on its top prog albums of the last 25 years list. Wow. There you go. And what of the legacy of Six Degrees of Inner Turbulence? Prior to the release of Six Degrees of Inner Turbulence, Dream Theater released the bootleg CD Four Degrees of Radio Edits <laughs> to its fan club, which contained, as the name suggests, Four tracks from Six Degrees of Inner Turbulence edited for radio play, which were initially sent to radio stations for promotional purposes. So they cut those songs down. And at their 20th anniversary concert at Radio City Music Hall in 2006, Dream Theater chose to open the second half of the show with Six Degrees of Inner Turbulence's title track, joined on stage by a full orchestra. Oh. This performance was later released as the live album score. Sweet. Highly recommended. It's really good. Mm. Like the first half, there's no orchestra. And then all of a sudden they bring the orchestra out and they do all of their like super epic, you know, classical uh, uh, influence songs with the orchestra. It's really neat. It sounds really neat. It's like Dream Theater in its final form, (laughs) like a live orchestra. And where did Dream Theater go from here? Well, the band embarked on the World Turbulence World Tour. World Turbulence. Wow. That's a bad name. <laughs> From June 2002 to November 2002. During that tour, on special occasions, the band chose to forego perform any of their own material and instead cover a classic rock album in its entirety. Hey. Two of these special performances, in which they covered Metallica's Master of Puppets and Iron Maiden's Number of the Beast, respectively, directly inspired Dream Theater to re-enter the studio in 2003 to record a more heavy metal focused album. Okay. But that's a story for a different day. Oh, yay. Dream Theater will be back. Will they? Are we surprised? Next year. <laughs> Next year, 2003. See you guys in a couple of months. <laughs> anyway, that is the end of our very, very long segment on Dream Theater. That's true. Maybe we'll have a very, very long segment on Jess's album of 2002. We won't. <laughs> Find out after the break. See Attention, entrez dans le théâtre des rêves. Six Degrees of Inner Turbulence, le nouvel album de Dream Theater. Dream Theater, 
5 musiciens, 5 virtuoses. Dream Theater, la fureur mélodique. N'attendez plus, découvrez l'album de Dream Theater. Welcome to our most dangerous recording yeah, session. Let's see kids. how long this song plays. Okay, we're we're good. We're back to normal. <laughs> um, anyway, anyway, that is uh, I, I don't know that that's is that a popular song? People know that one. Uh, I'll tell you where I've heard it before when we talk about our history with this album because it's the, 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 the the first song I heard by this band. Ah. Funny, funny enough, but was uh, it no. an Even Stevens? Huh. No, I feel like Maroon Five showed up in an episode of. Hey, hey don't give it away! Don't give it away. <laughs> what? Who? Is, who are these people? <laughs> Released June twenty fifth, two thousand two, the debut album, sorta, of this American pop rock band that is songs about Jane by Maroon Five, a Maroon cartoon. Oh my gosh! I thought of that this morning. <laughs> Maroon cartoon. Oh uh, yeah, so uh, Maroon Five. You, you know them, mm-hmm. and you know the songs by them. Mm-hmm. We're talking. This is the album with uh, "She Will Be Loved" and and "This Love" on it. Yes. So you know those songs. Me it's, or the kids? The kids. The kids. It's definitely this. It's know that this. one. <laughs> Everyone. Like, it's like you couldn't escape this song. You really couldn't. <laughs> but but yeah, the the song we're coming in with is "Harder to Breathe." Uh, mm-hmm. I, I guess I, I, can, I can give my history real quick. Sure. Cause, uh, yeah, it's like I, I heard I heard the, the huge singles like everyone, you know. Yeah. It, w- when it came out, but uh, not even when it came out, because this is this album was actually a sleeper hit. Oh. Yeah, the, the, this song took a couple years to to really like penetrate the mainstream. Hmm. Um, because when you told me, oh yeah, Maroon Five, right? Mm-hmm. And then they, I, I hear like this love. I was like, that song came out in two thousand two, because I remember hearing it in middle school. Like 2004, five. Uh, like, oh yeah. that's when I remember it. I, I always thought it was an like you know it was it was newer mid, newer mid-aughts. than that. But yeah, this this album was released in 2002 and took at least two years to actually start getting on the radio. Well, I guess most bands actually like have to do underground a lot, like before they imagine make the, it the, big. the 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 fear and uncertainty and doubt. Oh yeah, <laughs> the you release an album and it goes nowhere for two years. Ugh. I know how that feels about releasing a book and it goes nowhere. <laughs> Aww. Aww. But uh, no, so uh, Harder to Breathe, the song we just listened to, uh, the song we just opened with, um, I, that was the first Maroon 5 song I heard. And this is going to sound like a very 2002 story, but I heard it in a Flash cartoon. <laughs> it was in the Flash cartoon, The Decline of Video Games Part 2. Some some British dudes used it, it uh, as a credits music in their cartoon. <laughs> That's cute. So I just remember, and I, I'm like, that song doesn't sound like the other Maroon Five songs that were on the radio. Yeah. So I actually was surprised to hear that song. I was, oh, I know that one. <laughs> yeah. That's fun. 
So where 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 do you hear uh, Maroon Five? Why why is it your album? Um, because I listen to it nonstop. If the whole thing, the whole thing, the whole thing. There was a time in my life when I had a vehicle with a CD player. This was in the rotation. <laughs> so you were driving. Yes. yes. Not in 2002. But um, right. But that that means that you were getting it right as it was getting popular then. Yeah. It's like the rest of the world. Yeah. Like, I mean, the kids know, right? Like, even though my show for when I was literally one year old was like <laughs> an old show from freaking Britain. Um, I can't tell you when I, I mean, obviously I was in, I was, I probably had already had a job at this point and most of my money went to manga, but, um, uh, a good portion of my money went to CDs cause I was driving all over the place. So it's just, I, I think I liked probably the radio hits that I was hearing, not harder to breathe. Cause I don't remember that being played on the radio. I was like, oh, I'll get this. And then the whole album was like tops. So I just played through it. I will say that um, I probably listened to this weekly, the whole album, probably from like junior year all the way through my sophomore year of college. Like I know this is one of my most played albums. There you go. Then I became a Christian and I was like, mm, these songs are very sensual and they are messing with my ability to stay pure of mind <laughs> so i stopped listening to it for a while but uh i've come back to it i still really like the vibes of the whole album i think this is one of those rare times where i'm like oh man i'm a little upset that we uh instilled the lyric rule because some of the songs are now ruined for me <laughs> <laughs> because i mean it's not like i don't sing them verbatim word for word but sitting here like what are you saying like pulling it apart as you would poetry i'm like hmm there's there's some story behind this. Oh yeah, yeah. You wanna, yeah. Do you want to want to get started here? Want to tell me? I learned so much about Maroon Five, more than I wish I knew. You know, <laughs> I wish I had. Lay it on the kids and me. I don't actually know anything. I don't learn about my artists. All right, here we go. History of Maroon Five, 1994, Los Angeles. <laughs> Wait, can you do that again with a Nor Nor voice? 1994, Los Angeles. Excellent. <laughs> Schoolmates. Adam Levine, Jesse Carmichael, Mickey Madden, and Ryan Dusick formed the rock band Kara's Flowers. Oh, okay. Most of those guys, I think all of those guys were in Rune, were in Rune 5 at one point. Eh, bands do change yeah, yeah, Kara's Flowers was their first band as high schoolers. That's real soft, guys. Named after a girl they all had a crush on. Ooh, they bonded <laughs> over having, they were a reverse harem. Is that what you're telling me? No, I think they were just friends and they were like, oh yeah, we got such a crush on Kara. That's. Let's form a band and name it after her. That's reverse harem trope in any manga or webtoon you read. A Malibu beach party performance by the band caught the attention of independent record label Tommy Allen, who alongside songwriter John DiNicola, best known for his work on Dirty Dancing. Produced Kara's Flowers' first album in 1995 called We Like Digging. With a question mark? There's a question mark? We like digging. Digging hoes. <laughs> digging it. Holes, not hoes. My bad. <laughs> that album caught the attention of Reprise Records' Rob Cavallo, who signed Kara's Flowers and produced their follow-up, The Fourth World, in 1997. 
Despite high expectations from the band and record company, and despite positive reviews from critics, The Fourth World was a huge financial failure, and Kara's Flowers was dropped by their record label after only six months. Okay, as an artist with a dream, that hurts. I've got empathetic pain. They were all still in high school, though, so, you know. Okay, You gotta fine. bounce back. That's I feel fine. like you bounce back from a lot in high school. So. That's true. You're basically rubber. <laughs> hey, kids, please, please don't harm high school students. They're not actual rubber. Yeah, I, I listened to their their big hit from the Kara's Flowers days. How is it? Uh, it sounds like Britpop. <laughs> like, oh, you hate Britpop? Not, yeah, it's like not my thing. It total. It sounds like Blur or Pulp, like mm. for sh- like for real, like. It's weird. It doesn't sound like American alternative rock from the late 90s like you think it would. No, it sounds like Britpop. Oh, Oasis. Weird. Yeah. Huh. Very cheery. <laughs> Excuse me. They were writing songs for the love of their life. Kara, let them be cheery. Chim chimmery. Chim chimmery. Chim carry. Having just graduated high school, the band went on hiatus as its members attended college. That's good. Good job, boys. I mean, it's good to have a backup plan. Yeah. Dusik and Madden attended University of California, Los Angeles. Oh, wow. (laughs) Dang. Go Bruins. While Levine and Carmichael relocated to the East Coast to attend Five Towns College on Long Island, New York. Oh, that's 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 a that's a that's a that's a distance. Yep. (laughs) Hiatus or a break? (laughs) Basically, yeah, it was a hiatus. While in New York, the latter pair was exposed to contemporary urban music. That was what Ken Levine said. Urban. I'm and sorry. Does urban mean what I think it means? And hip hop. They lived in LA. Okay. Yeah, that is weird, isn't it? No, it's fine. It's fine. I have less respect for the group now. You may continue. <laughs> that influence they would bring back home with them in 2001. They, bring back home? Maybe they were just like in a very isolated community over there in, in Malibu or wherever they lived. Ice like snow community, like white. I guess I don't know. No. I don't know what's. I don't know what neighborhood they were in in L.A. But. No, that's fair. I just, I mean, you know, I think it's interesting because they're going to New York and being like, oh, I was introduced to hip hop. I was like, any anybody in hip hop, hip hop, in hip hop or quote unquote urban music <laughs> knows that there is a distinction between. West Coast Coast and East Coast Coast sound, but you're making it sound like there was nothing over here. Like, where were... Okay, it's cool. Let's move on. Maybe they're sheltered. I don't know. They seem like sheltered guys. I guess. This is true. This is true. Whatever. We all gotta... Either way, that's why why Maroon 5 sounds like Blue-Eyed Soul. (laughs) They just... They're appropriating some black music. Yeah, that makes sense. A little bit. That makes sense. Making it their own, but doing it a little bit. Yep, that makes sense. I'll point out some, like similarities that i saw while listening to this yeah you know i think there's like a line between appropriation and influence so it's like it's probably like i i will listen to your history and where you feel like but i'm like i'm hoping it's just influence (laughs) and like homage is paid to where it is taken from after signing a demo deal with mca records in 2001 so they got back to it Mm -hmm. they did not give up on their dream that demo deal eventually fell through Uh, Karis Flowers was rejected by a handful of labels before ultimately landing at Octane Records, whose executives were convinced to sign the band after hearing a demo of the song Sunday Morning, which is on this album. Yes. And seeing Levine perform live. They were mm. like, that guy's got it. He's got the charisma. And they were like, we, we need to sign that guy 
and whoever's and, and, with him. Yeah, those those guys too, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I get. I mean, that makes sense. I've I've never seen them live. Are they like a? Oh, I don't go to fun... shows. Well, I'm not, but have you seen them on TV or anything? Like... Yeah, even Steve. I'm kidding. Um, I've seen like music videos and stuff. Yeah, he definitely has like yeah yeah like he has the ability to carry a lot of stuff. He's been in like extras and shows, but also did you ever watch Begin Again? Nope. That movie, with, uh, I really like that movie. He's not the main character, but it's Keira Knightley and uh, Mark Ruffalo. And he's a tertiary but important character. And he plays a rake very well. He, he, he's he got the moves like Jagger. One oh, <laughs> I would tell you to leave, but you're operating the computer. Octane Records insisted on two things after signing the band. One, that they recruit another guitar player so that Levine could, quote, be the star they <laughs> perceived him to be. Oh, gosh. And two change their name to completely divorce themselves from their pop rock past. Okay. I'm sure they accepted that. I guess like they they found out it was like, oh Kara's flowers and they hear this new song and they're like, oh yeah, we remember what they used to sound like. Mm. You guys need to be someone else. <laughs> Smart move. So guitarist James Valentine of LA band Square was brought on board to satisfy the first demand and the band officially changed their name to Maroon 5 to satisfy the second. Do, is there a meeting behind Maroon 5? I don't know. There, there there's five, five dudes now? now. Are they marooned on an island? Maroon cartoon. Oh, gosh. The band entered the studio in late 2001 to record their first album under their new name, titled Songs About Jane. Hmm. The album's title is a reference to Adam Levine's ex-girlfriend, Jane Herman. Wow. <laughs> we know her name. Full legal name and everything. We know her. Levine has admitted that most of the album's lyrics are inspired by her and their relationship, saying that there is at least one line in every song about her specifically. Oh my gosh. Um, question. Did any of them ever date Kara? I doubt it. Uh, I wonder if she's been interviewed, you know. <laughs> if I was Kara, I would be like, no, my name is Clarence. I don't know who this Kara chick is. I will be hidden forever. Anyway, that's the history of songs about Jane. They cool. are songs about Jane. I mean, that wasn't a hard leap of logic to make. All right. Well, Has Jane been interviewed? I probably. Who knows? I, we know her name. That's sad. That's sad. Want to talk about some music? Sure. We've got four songs. Two singles, two non-singles. To mix it up a little bit. Yeah. But also, when we were deciding on which songs to talk about, right? Mm -hmm. I know you chose. You tried to choose ones that weren't so sexy. Yeah. <laughs> I did. It's really hard to find in this, in this album, kids. But like the album we talked about from uh, Tony Braxton, mm -hmm. like it tells her, a story. Her album told a story about mm -hmm. a woman falling out of love. Right? Yeah. This album tells the story of a man falling out of love. Yeah. And uh, I thought it'd be fun to kind of like, and, and I always say this, I value the, the order of an album. Mm -hmm. I think the order is very important. Yeah. Right. And this album's ordered very well mm -hmm. because it tells the story of, a man falling out of love. Agreed. So we chose four songs in order of how they appear on the album, kind of highlighting some moments in that unrelationship. <laughs> the end. First one, you've all you've all heard it. You heard it in car commercials, and you'll hear it till the day you die. <laughs> we will come to your funeral and play it. She will be loved. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. How old were they at this point? Because it's after college. Freaking 20, 22. 
I hate this song. I'm sorry that you hate this song. I love this album. And I hate many things that you make me listen to. You don't get to sush me. Oh man, so like the, this song, this I, I I've done some like freelance work for like video editing. Mm-hmm. You know, I've done a little bit of that, and I've used this song for birthday like sc- uh, like slideshows more than once for people. Like they, yeah. it's always this song. <laughs> they they want you know picture you know lovely pictures of, of whoever's birthday it is with this song playing. She will be loved. <laughs> I, it drives me nuts. I mean, but this or radioactive? Uh, radioactive is better than this. <laughs> yeah, man, this is like the most. Uh, like, I, I wish there was a a, a term. Like, I, I was telling some friends, like, I, I we need to make up a new word for me to describe this. Like, it's like, I hate it because it's so earnest. It's so like bubblegum sweet, you know. Mm-hmm. And and we we came up with. Um, this song is so Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> this song is the equivalent of Jimmy Fallon, where it's like just too earnest and like excitable. It's like, you know, it, it hurts me because I'm too cynical. You know what I mean? <laughs> it hurts you because you're broken, not just deep inside, yeah. but close to the surface. <laughs> I mean, I get it. I think like it makes me think of cute aggression when you see something that's cute and you're just like, I just want to squeeze it. Um, this isn't cute, <laughs> but it is sweet. Yeah. And it makes you aggressively dislike it. Yeah. Avers. Why can't you be That's hurting great. like me? Wow. Well, he will be later. Wow. <laughs> I feel like this song is hurting, honestly. I just not feel like a beginning of a relationship. Well, I mean, let's jump to those lyrics. What, right. what, what, what do you got? She, um, she was a beauty queen of only 18. She that's, had, she that's had some trouble with herself. I was like... How old is the I in this song? But then I, after like hearing everything that you're talking, about, oh, he probably wrote this when he was also. 18. Is there an I in here? Is it from um, the first person? I thought it was from the third person for both he and she. I don't mind spending every day out oh, of the corner. Oh, okay, okay. Court. So the chorus is in. Yeah. So the whole thing is I know where you hide along the dark. Tap on my window. Knock. It's I. I is singing about her. Tap on my window. But the like the 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 non-chorus bits are like no. he was always there to help her. She always belonged to someone else. He was always there to help her. She always belonged to someone else. I drove for miles and miles and wound up at your door. I've had you but then I drove. Oh, for miles I drove. Yeah, yeah. What is up? What is that shift? That that I have that highlighted. I drove for miles and miles and, and wound, wound up at, up your, at door. your door. So here's the thing I had about this song. I had like lots of. I had like lots of thoughts. This was one of the things I was like. I don't even know it was like a sad song. Um, but upon reading, it, I was like, Ugh. <laughs> because um, Beauty Queen of Only Eighteen, she uh, always belonged to someone else. 
I've had you so many times, but somehow is I he want more. someone else? Yeah, like no, she always belongs. So this is how I'm reading it: infidelity. Like, um, she was always dating someone else. Yeah, and this I character still says, like, you were always dating someone else, but I've had you so many times, and still I want more. And I was like, wait a minute. Is she seeing someone? Oh, he's... And you're just... So this whole thing... I've got, like, if you look at my notes... <laughs> <laughs> he's the... What... I, like, have things written here, like, um, at, at the end of the course... Am I getting ahead of myself? No, go okay. ahead. I have things written at the end of, the, like, the, the chorus, the, even the first chorus, like, um, uh, look at the girl with the broken smile, ask her if she wants to stay a while, and she will be loved. And I just wrote the BFF trope. Like, if you watch or read something, it's very much like, oh, that's my best friend. <laughs> no, we're like best friends. We're not like dating or into each other. And the other partner's like, yeah, uh, yeah. Like, that's what it feels like. We're just like, I don't care where you are, what you're doing. I'll make sure that you're loved. And through most of it, right? Like it is very much um, this she character. I feel like we're talking about your book <laughs> is, uh, it's Jane. Just call her Jane. Okay. Jane and Adam. I don't want to do that. Jane has done nothing but been an 18-year-old girl, and now for, for the rest of forever, she is this person. It's the song about Jane. It's <sighs> a different Jane. I'm so sorry, Jane. We're going to call her Jane, Jane. Pucklepsy. It's not Puc you. It's a Puc different Poughkeepsie. Jane. <laughs> Poughkeepsie. Poughkeepsie. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't just say Smith. Jane Smith. <laughs> um, Jane James. So tap on my window, knock on my door. I want to make you feel beautiful. Um, it's not always rainbows and butterflies. It's compromise that moves us along. Tap on my window, knock on my door. I want to make you feel beautiful. I know I tend to get so insecure. Doesn't matter anymore. It's not. And it's just this kind of like, what's the compromise? Who's compromising? Is it you? You're compromising not being in a relationship with her because she she's always has someone else on her arm, someone else that is like better for her social status or works better for her family or whatever. And the compromise is, yeah, but I get to see the real her. Like, I know where you hide alone in your car and know all the things that make you who you are. Like, is the compromise that you are the person in the shadows that she just, this song, sucks <laughs> like not sucks like oh this is a bad song but like pulling it apart reading it as a story since the whole album is telling a kind of story this is very much like i wrote bro that's not love you're a backup you need to find your own worth uh outside of her because it just goes from okay i know where you hide alone in your car i know all the things that make you who you are i know that goodbye means nothing at all comes back and makes me catch her every time she falls 
tap on my window, knock on my door. I want to make you feel beautiful. It's like, it doesn't matter if I'm saying, okay, this is enough. Or she's like, no, I'm going to move on to this. Like at any point she can turn back to me and I'm going to open my arms and catch her. I want to make her feel beautiful. It's nothing about what this character, what I, um, what Adam, if that's what you want to say, uh, wants from a relationship. It's nothing about uh, what he feels like he deserves. It's whatever you need, I will do that for you. And that is not okay. I, I, I saw things differently. Oh, okay, interesting. I have, I have a few things. One, uh, you mentioned the compromise stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't know what he, he means by compromise, uh, but I agree that uh, as someone in a successful uh -huh. relationship, compromise is important. So I was like, good job, Adam. Yeah. I will say outside of this whole song, uh, or like even when I was younger, like this is my favorite li line in the song, and it still is. I think outside of the song and the story the song is telling, it's not always rainbows and butterflies. It's compromise along, right? Yep. Like, I think we say, I don't know if we said it on the podcast. We probably have. But I very much think, like, love is a choice. It's a choice that you make every moment of every day, right? There are times that you do not like me. <laughs> like, but uh, you love me and you choose to, like, push through those times of yep. me being, like, the worst. And I think it's vice versa as well. <laughs> It's like it reminds me of all those like Reddit "Am I the a hole?" Oh my gosh, I love them. The podcasts you listen to. These Some days, of those like, you should not push through. It's like, yeah, man, just let her, just just let her have a, a, a frozen lockbox to have her snacks in, so you don't <laughs> eat them, bro. Like, yeah, that guy needed some therapy. He needed some compromise. He in his needed life, you know? like let let his girlfriend have her snacks. Oh my gosh! Stop eating her snacks. Stop eating her snacks when she <laughs> asks you to. Adam, stop eating her snacks. <laughs> but. The, the stanza you read about, um, I know where you hide alone in your car, right? Mm -hmm. uh, know all the things make you who you are. I know that goodbye means nothing at all. Mm -hmm. I know where you hide alone in your car. Know all of the things that make you who you are. I know that goodbye means nothing at all. Comes back and makes me catch her every time she. That reminds me of an on-again, off-again relationship. Have mm -hmm. you ever been in one of those? No, have you? Yes. Oh, actually, I have. Continue? No, yes, I have. And that stanza, like, reminds me of that. Yeah. Because uh, when you're in an on-again, off-again relationship, like, the phrase, I know that goodbye means nothing at all, like... Especially, like, if, if, like, you're giving it a shot for, like, the third time. Mm -hmm. You know that even though, like, if you guys have, like, a like a disagreement, it's like, oh, no, we're done. We're done. It's mm -hmm. like, now in a week, you're just going to text me again and give it another shot. Yeah. You know, at that point, it's just like, okay, I'll talk to you in a week. Just get through what you got to get through. Wow. I know you're going to probably, like, go sit in the, like, you know, you're going to go sit at the, like, playground across the street for a while and feel sad. And then you're going to come back and say, I'm sorry. <laughs> like. For the things you said yeah. when you shot. <laughs> just three songs popped into my head. <laughs> it's been one week since you looked at me. Shout out to Lit. Right. <laughs> I don't remember what I said when I was drunk. Whatever he says. But, Can we forget what I said? Yeah. So this this sounds like, okay, like a young, like high school slash early like 20s mm -hmm. on again, off again relationship that is incredibly toxic and yeah. should you, you really should just put an end to it. Yeah. But at that time, you you can't, you know, especially like, I don't know if this was Adam's first relationship. Mm -hmm. He's a good looking guy. Maybe not. I don't know. 
but maybe he like he couldn't let it go. You know, mm-hmm. he was too infatuated where it's like, oh, I just love her so much. Right. You know, even though it's like clearly this isn't working and you guys keep breaking up and getting back together for mm-hmm. a reason. Like you guys just need to move on or just be friends. Yeah. Uh, but he can't. And that's why he's like, well, she will be loved. You know, <laughs> like. I think it's so interesting, though. Like, yeah, I absolutely agree. It, it it for sure is an on again, off again. And it for sure is toxic. <laughs> it is not a good place to be. It, I think it is got to be so hard, though, in high school because everything feels like the end of everything. Um, and I could see like going back and forth without actually having the experiences that you gain outside of that. And that's not true for everybody. Right. But it is true for most. Um, I actually really think that, uh, the reframe, she will be loved could also be not in this song, but I just think it would be really interesting to like have the meaning of it change. Like, even if I don't keep going back, she will be loved. Like she's going to find someone to be loved, yeah, to yeah. love her. Um, and I think that can be, it's not in the song, but I was like, oh, it would have been nice if it like flipped at the end, um, to like this kind of like stance where I don't have to be there for her. I can look after myself. She will be loved. She will be loved. She'll be loved by someone. And it doesn't need to be me Yeah. because, uh, <laughs> pain. Cause she's lovely. I guess I also think. Yeah, I also think it's interesting how he depicts her. Uh, And I think this is interesting moving forward because when I did the notes for this, I did them backwards from Uh the bottom to the top. Um, (laughs) Much like the last five years, he went from the beginning to the end and I went from the end to the beginning. Um, And in doing that, I found it really interesting, which no, I'll say that when we get to the last song. But I will say it probably colors how I'm seeing these things a little bit more. But I think like how he presents, how he sees her. Uh, Look for the girl with the broken smile, ask if she wants to stay a while. Beauty queen of 18. Beauty queen of 18, she always had trouble with herself. And these, I think these are the only lines he actually talks about her and everything else is about him. It's it's the immaturity of the song as well. Yeah, absolutely. And they're all very, it's not just shallow, right? Because you can say like, uh, a pretty girl with a broken smile, right? Like, okay, but what's a broken... Have you... I'm asking you, Rod. Have you ever seen someone with a broken smile? I think so. What would you, What would you like, describe that as? Like, what would that look like, like to you? Performative, like someone who is trying to fake it to make it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, even though she's got, like, a lot of insecurities and, and, and pain that she's trying to just hide for mm-hmm. the world, I guess, you know? You're, I don't think you're wrong at all. It's the idea when I think... The, broken smile it is not it is exactly what you're saying but it's not something that you can necessarily view right like because people unless you know that person really well yeah so that's the thing right like so it's that you get so used to the performance of it very few people can actively see through it right um and he's saying the only things that stick out with her right is like that she's really pretty she has self-esteem issues and she her smile is performative and i think like with those things in mind him like i have to rescue her she will be loved i will be there for her even blah 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 it's a lot of that hero complex savior complex which is what i think is adding to the the like on again off again when you're like oh 
the reason he can't let go is because he believes that she is going to fall apart without him. She's the one. Like, I have to be there for her. Like, she's not going to be okay. Which, you know, some people aren't. But, like, she's she'll, she was performing before you. She'll perform without you. But that's not, that's not the point. It's just, I think, like, it's interesting to see, like, the immaturity in it. But how it very clearly depicts these things where we, from where we are in our 30s, can be like, ah, that's real. That's very real. Yeah. That's very real from these young people. If this song is depicting an on-again, off-again relationship, it does reveal a lot about what happens when you're not in the relationship, you know, if you're, like, taking a break. Mm -hmm. Because, one, you, I can only speak for myself. As a man, if you're out of a relationship with someone that you still feel like you can make it work, that becomes, like, a romanticized scenario, mm -hmm. right? Where it's like, man, we could have made it work, you know? Like, yeah. And and then and then if she reaches out and says she wants to try again, then it's like you, you have like this elation. It's like a dopamine hit or something like that. Mm -hmm. You're like, yeah, you I know? knew we could. And then and then within a couple of weeks, you realize why you guys broke up in the first place. It's like this weird cycle. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it, it, immature like it's something that immature people fall into. You know, mm -hmm. and uh, I think that that only comes with maturity is you realize that hey, you you guys aren't meant for each other. Mm -hmm. it's like you, it's great that you guys enjoy being around each other in some circumstances, but it doesn't have to be a romantic relationship. Yeah, she will be loved by someone else. Yeah, but also you were. Uh, uh, postulating that he was a like the third man, you know, mm -hmm. or like he was the side guy or yeah. something. I think that also reveals what it can be like in an on again, off again relationship. Sometimes, you know, two people break up and then one person starts dating someone else, mm -hmm. and you from the sidelines have to be like, uh, you know, yeah, could have been me. And then again, if feeding into the dopamine, like they that they break up, mm -hmm. you know, because whatever and then she tries to get back with you yeah because it's easy because it's comfortable yeah and then that can. that seems like a yeah i went over that guy i think this i mean i, I think it can be true to life yeah i, I don't like the song very much but well that's because it's overplayed for you <laughs> i just like i don't like the, the style either no that's fair i think you saying that it was very earnest uh if he wrote this in that time frame yeah 100% he was feeling those things and he was like, oh, I'm a teen. <laughs> I'm a 20-something. 20, they were valid feelings. She Will Be Loved hit number one on the mainstream top 40 and adult top 40 charts, topped the Australian and Belgian charts, and peaked at number five on the Billboard 200. Dang. Yeah, this was their, This was probably the biggest hit of the album, I mm -hmm. think. Um, <laughs> and its style... Here's the funny part. This song reportedly prompted many alternative radio stations to remove Maroon 5 from their playlists on the grounds that the band's newer songs were too light for alt-rock audiences. Wow. They're all on the same album, though. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just kind of funny that this song was too pop for the alternative huh. crowd. You know, and they, they, they Maroon 5 just went in that direction. Yeah. They just kept going. They're a pop band now. Yeah. Like, they're, they're just a pop band now. I mean, and that's I mean that's okay. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I don't listen to their new stuff, so I I, I don't know. I've just got to take your word for it. You've heard it in car commercials, <laughs> have I? Is that all we have to say about "She Will Be Loved"? Yeah. Put it in the ground. Will don't I hear it loved? anymore. Retire that song. Forever. No, I'm probably gonna play it today later. <laughs> so the next song we're gonna talk about it's a non-single filler track, maybe. It's called "The Sun."
This is my favorite song. Off of this this song sounds good. Like yeah. this song like really rocks. Yeah. When I think of Maroon so song, when I think of Maroon 5, this is the song I think about. Like it's none of their other stuff. And I'm like, oh, Maroon 5. This is the first thing that pops in my head. This is my favorite Maroon 5 song. I like it because it very, very clearly sounds like them trying to be Stevie Wonder. This is a Stevie Wonder funk song. Yeah. And th that this is the urban music they found in New yeah. York. It's just Stevie Wonder. It's like, let's just be Stevie Wonder. <laughs> and there are a few songs that sound like Stevie Wonder, but this one in particular sounds very... What Stevie, Stevie. Wonder song would you Just say? all of them. You know, <laughs> like that that mid-70s, like, funk sound, mm. you know, with the you know, with the keyboards and the funky guitar. Okay. And, and Adam Levine's putting on his best black scent. Uh, I actually refer to this song as a photograph song. It's like a photograph song. Look at this photograph. Yeah. So songs that talk about past events and like are songs of reminiscence, I refer to as photograph songs. So like this is Maroon 5's photograph. Uh, yeah, like uh, I think we've talked about this. Ed Sheeran has the photo his photograph songs, like the Castles one and stuff. B so the B-52s had a photograph song? Yeah. It's and it's like ah oh, yeah I think there's something about like reminiscing that I like which is interesting because I don't like reminiscing in real life. You like hearing about other people's stories from Sometimes. the past. Depends on the stories. <laughs> well, to me, this song sounds like so. I would have thought this was this would have fit as a you know in the story of Jane and Adam after they had broken up, you know. Yeah. But this could easily be, and I think that's where it has its place on the album. This is ideation of breaking up mm. like adam like I i'm imagining him after like a pretty messy day in the relationship him just taking a walk through the neighborhood you know somewhere and 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 thinking to himself like do i want to break up with this woman for good or do i want to keep it going and he's thinking back on you know if if, if the good times and the bad times mm -hmm. i think that's interesting because I, I i i read it as like reminiscing after like fully after <laughs> no it could it could be that too and that's why I, I said like this song could fit at the end of the album yeah but they have it kind of in the middle you know before they've broken up for good this because there are a few songs that are literally about breaking up that's uh, very true and, and we, we will talk about those later but th where this song is uh they haven't broken up yet so i'm imagining adam thinking about it but also like trying to justify staying together yeah, maybe I, I would also say maybe it's like one of their little breaks maybe. before a big break. I don't know what I thought when I was like, I was clearly listening to this in high school, right? But I don't know. I think with you going through the history and being like, realizing they were like 22 and pretty young, the whole first bit <laughs> it in my brain was like, oh, he's literally talking about like, two years ago right so after school walking home frustrated under my fingernails like i don't know in my brain why when i was younger i still imagine even though it says after school i still imagine like a semi-grown man probably because the person singing it is a semi-grown man um but i can smell hot asphalt car, car street screeched to a halt to let me pass it's just very clearly 
I think I love the song because the imagery is so tight. Yeah, and you can see every word. Like it's it's painted very clearly. And I've I've lived this, you know. Yeah. Like in, in a you know in the midst of a a, a difficult relationship, mm-hmm. just just walking down the street, just soul searching. <laughs> yeah. Who hasn't been there? But seriously, it it, it feels it's a very common aspect of humanity. I think there's a the human condition. That. It's a conditional human. I wrote down here because uh, one of the lines, and I cannot remember what life was through photographs. And I wrote down like Rod's meaning of the past versus mine. I think this is, I really find this line so interesting in my thirties now um, because especially being with you, you are ridiculous in your memory of things. Like you just can say something like, oh no, that was in 1996 and this is what happened and da da da. Or like, I can remember all of the Halloween costumes I wore from ages two to high school. Like you're, um, I think that like, when you look at pictures and stuff, you're like, oh, I remember, blah, blah. Like you can, you can remember those. And, and even without like photographic memory, you've just got a really good way to like recall for yeah, stuff. Yeah. I'm not that, right? So this line for me, like I cannot remember what life was through vo- photographs, trying to recreate images life gives us from our past and i'm like i barely remember what we did last month <laughs> and it was a big month it was christmas uh season and um i think it's so interesting because even though i don't remember actual events from my life and stuff like that there are things like this like that i can have total recall for right like listening to the beginning of the song kind of always puts me back in Covina, driving up Hazusa in my red pickup truck, listening to this, jamming out while I'm like at a stoplight or something like that. Like I can recreate that and the feeling and the smell of that very easily with the sound of this song. But if you could ask me, what did I learn in school? Or that like I, I necessarily can't. So I think that this being a song about memory is interesting. I don't know. I just wanted to have a talk about memory, but. Memory. Memory. What, what was that line there? I can't remember through photographs. I cannot remember what life was like through photographs. But I can remember what life was like through Maroon 5 songs. <laughs> Boo. Any songs. Boo. But yeah. I did the same thing with like Six Degrees of Inner Turbulence. Like mm-hmm. there are moments in that song that just remind me of sitting doing calculus homework. Yeah, it's true. I think that there's something um, intrinsically tied in with memory and senses right like there are yeah. definitely different oh, yeah. smells that put smells me, yeah to put me at five years old in my mom's car or like sounds or different things like that yep so we were in a we were doing a community service project at an elementary school a few weeks ago and just being in that classroom and having the smell i told you <laughs> oh what yeah that's it's like the carpet what is that there's a very particular like elementary school smell yeah Dude, remember when we went to go and see the Life as a House library? Yes. And we were out there and there was just, there were some plants that were planted that I was like, are these planted at every elementary school? Because this smells like playground. My playground growing up 30 years ago um, and probably like a hundred miles from here. Like this is immediately putting me back to elementary. And it's really cool how memories are triggered i don't know so that was really all i wanted to say about that line just have hmm. yeah well uh, going back to adam and jane here uh the is this the chorus but i cannot forget refuse yeah. to regret so i'm glad i met you uh and take my breath away make every day worth all the pain that i have gone through but I'm 
things are how they used to be. She said the battle's almost won, and we're only several miles from the sun. See, he's trying to justify getting back in the relationship. Yeah. That this this is like, listen, it was there was good times. I don't even have to remember them, you know, through through photographs. It's like I felt it. Yeah. Like and uh, so there's a lot of like, you know, uh, he's really trying to like smooth over his mm. his uneasiness. It's like, well, no, man, the battle's almost won. She said, "We're gonna make it. We're gonna get married." You know, like I'm gonna start a family one day. You are seventeen. Even though it's Shut like, up. I'm imagining like they they have like two week relationships. You know, right. it's like we're we're together for two weeks, then we have a fight. Uh, or we think we, we can't do this and then they break up for a month so it's like those little two weeks it's like <laughs> we're gonna get married <laughs> like no you're you're, you're you really you're fooling yourself i hope you don't this is not this is not a good track record that's what that reminds me of yeah again i really like some of the lines in this a lot it's my favorite of the songs on the album um but it makes me think as an adult through stuff right like reading this as poetry and the beginning of the chorus but i can't forget refuse to regret so glad that i met you and um i think when we're looking at this through the aspect of this adam and jane characters that are young and they're like this idea that there there is so much to regret but i refuse to regret it (laughs) yeah like you can actively point out those things where you're just like oh that's certainly not good but i'm not gonna call it bad because i don't regret it i don't know are there like things for you that like you can think about that are you would say are negative but you just don't want to regret them for any reason like for some reason like i feel like it's a point of pride right like i i I don't know maybe like there i think there are some like experiences that are like oh that was horrible but at least it's like i got a story out of it Mm-hmm. You know, but like typically, like, and, and I guess thinking back to like, you know, bad relationships or something like that, right? Um, I am thankful for going through them and learning and maturing through them. But I, I mean, I don't look back fondly. Like, I don't want to remember those things. Yeah. So I, I can't exactly relate to that. But I think what you said at the very beginning, like, this is romanticizing it. Like, yep. just making it easy for you to fall back into this place when it's like no 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 we feel regret and guilt for a reason it's our soul in our mind telling us not to do that mess again <laughs> speaking of that, there's there's so there's a there's a line here i think it's late in the song where i'm going to read it backwards right because okay. it's like a full stanza here like this part hate to love and love to hate her like a broken record player back and forth and here and gone and on and on and on and on right mm-hmm. that sounds like yeah, that sounds like a bad relationship. You're having an on-again, off-again relationship, and it's a bad pattern. It's yeah. A, it's a bad cycle. You need to end the cycle and get out of there, right? Yeah. But he prefaces that part with something – with the romanticized bits of their relationship. Mm. So it, it's like I can look at it soberly because, like, everything I just read, like, we can think of, like, oh yeah, that sounds bad. But he, he laced it with positives, and he's forget like he's forgetting it, you know? Yeah. He's missing it. Yeah. The rhythm of her conversation, the perfection of her creation, the sex she slipped into my coffee, the way she felt when she first saw me. Rhythm of her conversation, the perfection of her creation, the sex she slipped into my coffee, the way she felt when she first saw me. Hate to love and love to hate her, like a broken record. 
Yeah. See, he, he with with that part at the beginning, it sounds like he had forgotten that this is a bad cycle that he needs to escape from. It's mm. missing the forest for the trees. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. It's, it's a contradictory song, you know, because emotions are contradictory sometimes. <laughs> they are. There's a line in the song that I'm like, what does that mean? It, the battle's almost won and we're only several miles from the sun. What does it mean to be only several? Like, I remember when I was younger thinking of, of Icarus, but I was like, that's different. <laughs> that's a different like saying. The sun, the sun is like like truth, like, you know, like uh, achieve. I, I'm just imagining like we're several miles from the sun. Like we are, you know, we're almost there. We're almost at the finish line yeah. and burning horribly. <laughs> <laughs> or we are, we are, uh, and, and maybe like writing the song with hindsight, he's, that's the metaphor he's going with, like Icarus, where it's like, at the time we thought the sun was like bright and shiny, and like we're we're gonna get married, but we were flying too close to the sun, trying to be in this relationship for too long, yeah. and we just got burned up. I think it. I like that, but I also think that like the whole thing, that whole uh, quoted thing, right? So it's quote the battle's almost won, and we're almost, and we're only several miles from the sun. The idea that like you're like. The hard part's almost over. I know we're fighting. I know we're fighting, but we're almost at the sun. Like you think that that's the goal, but it's going to like, that's not, it shouldn't be this hard. You shouldn't be fighting each other. You should yep. be fighting the things around you yep. together. Like, mm. <laughs> there's a one other line that I really enjoyed, not because it fits into the story necessarily, just it relates to me. Now, moving on down my street, I see people I've never, I will never meet. I, I see people I won't ever meet. Mm -hmm. I think of her and take a breath, feel the beat in the rhythm of my steps, right? Moving on down my street, I see people I won't ever meet. I think of her, take a breath, feel the beat in the rhythm of my steps. Sometimes it's a sad song. Mm -hmm. Again, you said this song is very descriptive. Yeah. It, it paints a picture. Yeah. Uh, I see this and I relate to it because, again, I've, I've walked, I've soul searched, right? But this line reminded me of a word I learned recently. Uh, and you've heard the word sonder before, mm -hmm. but the, a new definition of sonder means the profound feeling of realizing that everyone, including strangers passing in the street, has a life as complex as your own, yeah. which they are constantly living despite one's personal lack of awareness of it. Yeah. That's what that line reminds me of because I feel like when you walk down the streets, especially like if you're in a troubled state of mind, you mm -hmm. know, just like looking at people through their windows, like thinking to yourself, they have they're not NPCs in your life. Yeah, they are main characters. Yeah. In their own. Yeah. They they have a complex life mm -hmm. independent of your own. Yeah. I, I love, love that. I love that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I also underline that as like mm, adulthood <laughs> where it's just kind of like. Absolutely. And, so, and sometimes it's a sad song. And sometimes it's a sad song. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Sorry. So like every like you may be singing a sad song as you're walking down the street, but if you look at someone in their window, they may also be singing a sad song. Mm -hmm. and you just don't know it. Yeah. You know? It's like you're not the only one feeling this. Yeah. You're not the only one living life. Mm -hmm. This is a human condition. <laughs> human conditioner. <laughs> Freaking. You hear that, Elon? Not everyone's an NPC in your life. We will not bring him into our podcast. You stop it right he thinks now. He thinks his ex-wife was an NPC in his life. Stop. 
Want to move on? Okay. I love the song. Listen uh, to it, it. Here's here's a good part of the song. They got a, a, a rock and guitar solo. <laughs> this valentine probably but also this sounds like this sounds like buckethead <laughs> like there there are buckethead songs that i think are drawing the same inspirations from stevie wonder and funk that ah. maroon five here were ah. uh, so there you know there's a connection there you heard of buckethead he's a guitar player that i enjoy and uh i think him and his friends liked the same type of music that maroon five did i mean makes sense though can i just say that they went to the East Coast and discovered Stevie Wonder in 2000. What? I'm telling you, they, like, they strike me as very Stevie Wonder people. is not a 2000s artist. Anyway, I continue. Sorry. Like, what do you mean you discovered him? Okay. What do you mean he was only on the East Coast? It's fine. That's the song. It's a good song. It is a good, good song. song. I really do like the song a lot. All right, the next song we're going to talk about, The Relationships on the Rocks. It's called Must Get Out. Why'd you pick this song? Did I choose this one? I think you did. I did. <laughs> you chose this one. Uh, why'd you choose this one? Um, Because I thought it was a, one of the less sexual ones. But also, it's just like, oh, okay. Like, I think I, I like the really mellow tone of it, um, of the musicality. And that's why I picked it. Okay. Not the lyrics? I mean... The lyrics are the. I have stuff to say about the lyrics, but I think uh, this is one of those songs that, like, I know all the lyrics to and I would sing along to, but I would really like. Even when it started playing, it was like, ah, uh, like I closed my eyes and started wobbling. Nope, started rocking because it's it's the mellowness that I really like. It is. It's a pretty mellow song. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't like Adam Levine's voice. That's fine. With these mellow songs, you know, honestly, uh, I don't. I don't like falsetto, but there are exceptions to the rule. And this album and a couple of Maroon 5 songs like are the exception to me. But typically, like his, I would find his voice very grating. I wouldn't like it. I find it very grating. I get it. Like I totally get it. <laughs> um, this this song is straight up like it's 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 that that stanza I was reading that uh, from from the Sun, but he laced it with like good memories of his relationship. Mm -hmm. You know, like the on and on broken record stuff. Mm -hmm. It's just that Bart now. He's finally realizing, oh, I need to get out of here. <laughs> I must get out. I must get out. <laughs> um, I think it's interesting because they're not necessarily talking about getting out of the relationship, though. Oh, not yet, but I think he's starting to realize it. Yeah. Like, I try to laugh, but cry instead, patiently waiting to hear the words you've never said. Like, 
it's it's becoming a chore to be in this relationship. Yeah. Which again, I've, I've experienced that. And here's some some emotional immaturity. Making use of all this time, keeping everything inside. Close my eyes and listen to, and you, listen to you cry. Yeah. I was like, don't bottle up your emotions, man. Don't do it. I think like this song, I had thoughts. <laughs> like, hey kids, get out. <laughs> Just get out. You must get out. I From the beginning, fumbling through your dresser drawer, I forgot what I was looking for. I wrote, if you must snoop, dupe. there is no trust <laughs> in this relationship. It's time to dupe. I mean dip from this relationship. <laughs> um legitimately though like i think i was listening to somebody talk right talk about like the only reason someone should like be going through someone's phone in your relationship or or like looking for things we, yeah yeah is like if you're like i know i need to leave but i need something it, i need proof for me to be able like to be able to tell myself not to come back like yeah. to say like no she was cheating or no he was being lying to me this whole time whatever it is and that's the you know, like if you need it for yourself but like if you're just like if at any point like you were getting like weird and i felt the need to like go through your phone while you were in the shower or something no like yeah no yeah. i i would need to be like hey you're being really weird i don't know what's going on but it's making me feel very insecure and we need to talk about this like if you have to if you feel the need to like dive into your partner's anything before talking to them, before it, it, leave. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. not. Stop They're, looking for, like, if you're looking for excuses to leave the relationship, it might be time to leave the relationship. Yeah. Because, one, if you find something that proves that they're doing whatever you think you're doing, then the relationship is over. If you don't, you have to realize to yourself, I don't trust this person for what they're saying, and I have to go through their stuff. I'm insecure. No, leave, leave, leave. Kids, leave. So... <laughs> You can't see my bird flapping arms because this is an audio platform, but I swoop out like a seagull. Okay. <laughs> if you must snoop, swoop. <laughs> uh, so this song in general, like, because that's the first line of the second verse. Um, and everything else after that is just like, you're making excuses, right? Like I'm fumbling through your drawer, forgot what I was looking for. Uh, to guide me in the right direction. Direction of what, right? All And making use of all this time, keeping everything inside, close my eyes to listen to you cry. Like, what about this? Sounds like you stable. Sounds healthy. Sounds edifying to either of these two human people. Nothing. Yep. Don't bottle up those emotions, man. There, there, there's emotional immaturity here. You know, this, yeah. this, is, this is not how emotionally mature people deal with their problems. Yeah. Uh, the the chorus, right? I'm lifting you up. I'm letting you down. Right? There's the contradiction. Mm -hmm. right? It's like the, the ups and downs of the relationship. Mm -hmm. I'm dancing till dawn. I'm fooling around. I'm not giving up. I'm making your love. And here's, here's something I want to talk about. The city's made us crazy and we must get out.
blaming it on the, the environment. Yes. I literally wrote down, I was like, change in scenery change in scenery does not change the cast. You almost had it, my man. You yeah. almost you almost had it, <laughs> but then you you thought to yourself, we can fix this. We just need a change of scenery. We just got to get out of here. We got to get out of the city. The city's made us crazy. It's not our emotional immaturity. No, it's not this relationship. It's not the way that we listen to each other cry and make each other cry and go through each other's things. Can you read that part again? I'm lifting you up. I'm heading, setting you down. Because I like it made me think of the refrain in The Sun that we just left. And I just want to like read one line. I'll read this one. Read I'm, both. Yeah, go ahead. I'm lifting you up. I'm letting you down. Hate to love and love to hate her. I'm dancing till dawn. I'm fooling around. Like a broken record player. I'm not giving up. I'm making your love. Back and forth and here and gone. The city's made us crazy and we must get out. On and on and on and on. <laughs> oh. Get a, get a mashup going there. So good. I mean, it's not, right? Like, I, I don't know that it was intentional, but, like, I think when you're looking at this as a story and as, like, characters that are consistent and need growth it's i'm saying the same thing i'm saying the same thing but i think it's different because i am using different words but i'm saying the same thing and it just makes me hurt for this couple it makes me hurt for these two people well they they decide to break up right it looks like they they've really decided here at the end there that you know or at least she did maybe not him but she did this is not goodbye, she said. It's just time for me to rest my head. This is not goodbye, she said. It is just time for me to rest my head. She does not watch, she runs instead. Down these jagged streets and into my head. When I was fumbling through your dresser drawer. She does not walk. She runs instead down these jagged streets into my bed. Oh, okay. Maybe yeah, not. I was like, it oh, ends in a weird not. way. Maybe not. <laughs> but like, I think it's lovely because it's saying the same. She sees it. Oh, but it's also kind of the same refrain. Like, it's not the city. Like, it, 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 maybe it was because we were sleeping in my bed. Let's sleep in yours. Like, oh, yeah. That's a good point. But it kind of sounds like maybe maybe like when she it says she does not walk. She runs instead. She just runs around the block. Yeah. Like metaphorically. Yeah. Like she takes a run around the clock. It's not goodbye. You know, I just, you know. Right back to his bed. Yeah, because she will be loved. Because she's he's her backup boy. <laughs> I like the the um verse right after that, um, <clears throat> which is really just the bridge again. When I was slumming through your dresser drawer, forgot what I was looking for, try to guide me to the right direction, making use of all this time, keeping everything inside, close my eyes and listen to you cry. I put sounds toxic as tar, really. Like this toxic whole thing. AF. It does. I was like, I can't say that. <laughs> we're we're moving from toxic AF to toxic toxic as tar. Is tar toxic? Probably. Yeah. Toxic as tar, honestly. Um, because you're right, right? Like, it's so interesting, like talking about this as it is, because this is just the same girl from She Will Be Loved. Like in the the insight that you had of like, you know, you're sometimes dating someone, you break them up and you date with someone else, right? So yep. she is always with someone else. So that was her running around the block, like going around dating someone else and then runs back to your bed. Like, because mm. it's quote unquote, the safe place. It's the place that you can fall back into very easily. Yep. <laughs> this, this, this sucks. 
there's only so much I can do for you. And after all the things you put me through. Two-way street, man. Own up to it. Yeah. You're 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 not the victim here. <laughs> Feels like mutual fault, though. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, there's there's some emotional truths in here. Though I do have a question. Why is the line I'm fooling around? Fooling around with her? Oh, uh, maybe he's. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, maybe he's fooling around. I, with they broke else. up. We were on a break. He said. Yeah. <laughs> Kids, the city's not making you crazy. Get out. <laughs> you're all you were already crazy. Get out. <laughs> get out. Get out. We must get out of this song. Yes. <laughs> all right. Last song we're going to talk about. Uh, the relationship's over because Adam's through with it. <laughs> Like, choose this song. I like honestly musically it's pretty cool. I like it, it sounds like it sounds like this love like upset. Like this <laughs> is the the reprise of this love where mm. it's like stupid relationship. I hate it. <laughs> and he's like walking down the street. He's just upset. Like this is the the end of Act Two kind of song. Mm. You know, like this love ain't worth it. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I honestly did. I almost picked this because of the guitar riff, but I was like, let's give him a chance to choose something. And this is what you chose. It's this love with a grudge. That's yeah. what this. We all Ooh, we've all heard this, this love. love with a grudge. That's definitely should go on a shirt. <laughs> this love with a grudge. <laughs> uh. Yeah, I think this song I felt the weirdest about, to be perfectly honest. Like lyrically, this is another one of the like, I think lyrics ruin this or like reading through the lyrics and taking time to dissect them. Mm. Adam learns a lot of the wrong lessons from this. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's a break in the song where it goes from like talking about how I guess how he was harmed in the relationship or the things that he learned to just kind of some like toxic tendencies that he pulled after them yep. but he's justifying them because he was actively hurt like uh, it's it's there's a break it's very definite and you're like okay yep the the line uh can you see me floating above your head as you lie in bed here we go thinking about everything that you did not do because saying i love you has nothing to do with meaning it He's on the attack. Yeah. He's blaming her. It's her fault. Not his. Adam did nothing wrong, he said. <laughs> and here, I allow it, right? Like, I allow this thing. You are making that. I think, I will say, it does seem like the Adam from She Will Be Love has grown in the way that I, I wanted him to grow. And this... Um, she will be loved and I'll always be there for her. I just want to make you smile to like 
okay, saying you love, I love you has nothing to do with meaning it. Like, and that's gross, oh, right? No, I, that, to me, that sounds like resentment. No, it is 100% because he was not doing what he needed to do. Like, these are like, this is him like hurt. But I like the, I, like the, the realization that, especially considering how I viewed the Jane character in the first one was just kind of like, well, you're my standby guy. You're the person like, I don't like to be alone and I never will be because I know that I can string you along. Um, and all I need to do is offer you like pitiances. Like, yeah, I love you. Oh, I love you so much. Let's be together. I love you so much. I don't want to hurt you, but I don't think we can be together right now. Three weeks later, I love you so much. Like that kind of thing, like stringing them along. And I like held out the line, like, thinking about everything that you did not do, right? Having this understanding like, okay, but if I believe love is action, not just words, what were the things that I would have felt loved by? You've known me for three, four, five years, and I've done all these things because I know they make you feel good. I know that this is, what have you done for me, right? Because saying that you love me has nothing to do with showing, right? And getting to that realization where it's like, okay, I'm not going to accept this for myself anymore. He is tossing it like a bullet. It is being used terribly, but this is something that I think that we do need to realize from what we ex- accept. I'm sorry, from what we accept from other people. I, I mean, I'm not giving him the benefit of the doubt. I, th- I think That's he's fair. he's he's not looking inward. He's just blaming her. Oh. I hear I, you. I don't know. I don't know what was, you know, what's wrong, but I'm only hearing it from her, his perspective. Mm-hmm. And it sounds to me like he's he's putting all the blame at her feet and not looking at himself at all. And, you know, I'm not going to fight you because in about two uh, two stanzas, he gets real gross. <laughs> you know, I'm just saying up here when I was reading through it the first time, I was like, OK, this is fine. Right. Like not fine, but I get it. Right. Uh, the next line is, I don't trust you because every time you hear your intentions aren't clear. And it's like, that probably does happen. Like, in line with the other things that we've seen, absolutely. But also, right, like, I had written, we are only getting one side of the story, but I can tell this is probably how you feel. Um, again, especially after going through the whole story. And then he says, I spend every hour waiting for a phone call that I know will never come. I used to think you were the one. Now I'm sick of thinking anything at all. Cause every time you're here, your intentions are unclear. I spend every hour waiting for a phone call. That I know will never call. I used to think you were the one. Now I'm sick of thinking that I'm thinking all. You ain't never coming back to me. And that's not how this was supposed to be. You take my hand just to give it back. No other love I have. so hurt that guy but uh emo hair yeah but the line i spend every hour waiting for a phone call i relate to i've been Mm -hmm. in that position where like there's almost like we broke up and i'm sick of it and i really don't want to be a relationship but if she calls saying she wants to get back together i guess i'll be okay with it (laughs) so i think it's a lie when he says i know we'll never come He's mm-hmm. like, no, he he's expecting it at some point because that's mm-hmm. the pattern they've established. Yeah. He's lying to himself. Well, he's, he's been li- doing that for four songs. And he's lying <laughs> to himself when he says, I'm I, I'm I'm sick of thinking about this. Mm-hmm. You know, like this isn't gonna work. You know. Yeah. And, you know, and he was lying to himself before when he says, I used to think we were the one. You were the one. I think they he was pretending to make that trying to make that work, you know. Because that's what it's supposed to look like. It was, it was doomed from the start, and they kept saying to themselves, "No, no, you're the one. We're gonna be together forever." 
Yeah. I've been there. I haven't. When does he get gross? Pretty much right after the first chorus, which the chorus is, you ain't ever coming back to me. I'm trying not to sing it, speak sing it in the, you ain't ever coming back to me. That's not how things were supposed to be. You take my hand just to give it back. No other lover has ever done that. Um, And then the hard break for me is, though, technically, I really realized it the next first down, but this is where the break is. Do you remember the way we used to melt? Do you remember how it felt when I touched you? Oh, because I remember it very well. And how long has it been since someone you let in has given what, uh, given when I, what I gave to you? This gives off nice guy vibes. Uh, what, what was JGL's uh, character in the in Ten Things I Hate About You? Carmen. That that's it reminds me of that that guy. Yes, yes. I um, earned this. And yeah, and at, at this is the point where I was like, okay, but what is the other side of the story, right? Because at that point, where we're talking like, how long has it been since someone you let in has given what I've given to you? I went back. Do you remember how we melt? Do you remember how it felt when I touched you? And was, this is very physical, right? So um, I also, this was, like I said, I had read this in the opposite order of what we're going through right now. So this was one of my firsts. And when you go back and you think through the songs that we've talked about, that's why I pointed out and She Will Be Loved. Like, we're only really talking about, like, she's pretty, um, she feels insecure, and she has a broken smile, right? Uh, the sun still talks, slept, sex you slipped into my coffee, the way you felt, still very, like, physical thing, nothing, like, of substance. The uh, must get out. We didn't even talk about <laughs> anything you hurt other. Me. She hurt him. That's, that's yeah. Like other than I sat and listened to you cry or you went around the block and came back to my bed. Like that's all we right. So it's always about physical things I can see or physical ways we can touch each other. That's it. And now it's like, yeah. Can anyone give you what I gave you? And it grossed me out he's lived he's lived long enough to see himself become the villain <laughs> yeah like it's like okay so what would, and then just going back to that then it was just like because saying i love you has nothing to do with meaning it okay so what is what does that mean what well, do you remember how i touched you okay what is what what does love mean then <laughs> you know and then as we keep going um at night when you sleep do you uh dream that i would be there for a minute or two um Heartache, I just have so much. A simple love with a complex touch, and there's nothing you can say or do. Like, all these things are very much talking about the sexual side of their relationship, right? Like that that was the thing that he thought he brought the most to or thought that he just, you know, like that anything, all of the things when he's like, 
I'm never coming back. Like we're through. I'm never coming back. And the punishment is that you're never going to find someone to satisfy you the way I do. So take that. So what are you going to do? Like your loss. And it makes me go like, were you even that good? Like, are you, what are <laughs> you're, you're talking a lot of talk guy. You're talking a lot of talk. You're half of this equation. Yeah. Right. Well, it's, you know, I, I feel like when someone is immature like this, like I mean, whoever wrote this song, you know, some, someone, Adam Levine, mm-hmm. uh, the person who wrote this is coming at this in a, from a very immature perspective. Mm-hmm. And when you're immature and you get into a really messy, relate like a messy breakup, right? Yeah. It's easier to just blame them. Mm-hmm. It's easier to just villainize them. It's their fault. Yeah. They did this. They ruined my life. I'm a, I'm a pure boy. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm the victim here. Ugh. Like th- that's just evidence of immaturity. That's all it is. Do you feel like that? Okay. I'm trying to think because I was like, I've never done like any of my relationships previous <laughs> You're to not you. A man. Yeah. <laughs> so I was, I, was, I was like, is that a male thing? Yeah, because man. I feel like they're cool. They're like great in all of these ways, but that didn't really mesh with me. So I had to end it. Yeah. And that like I feel bad because they have a lot of good qualities, but like that just didn't that was uh, not acceptable for me. Like that's very little boy thing to say. Uh, it's like, oh, she ruined my life. You know, it's so stupid. <laughs> yep, it is. <laughs> that, that's why there's <laughs> like a very, very clear break where it's just like, ugh, the vibes here. What's the opposite of immaculate? Ma- messy. <laughs> messy. <laughs> disgusting but I, I think at the end of the song here they decide it's it's done the relationship's over heartache heartache i just have so much a simple love with a complex touch and there is nothing you can say or do i called to let you know i'm through with you oh <laughs> but maybe you know maybe if you if you you change maybe we'll get back together oh my god <laughs> I'm, I'm like i'm, I'm interjecting yeah, 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 that yeah. in there but yeah, like as far, as far as he knows right now, in his heightened state, it's over. Yeah. Even... Maybe he'll go for another walk in the sun and he'll think back to himself, maybe, maybe we could have made it work. <laughs> and the right. whole hostile... Starts all over The whole again. hostile cycle starts all over again. I think it's... He says he has a simple love and a complex touch, but the simple... What does that mean? Who cares? I mean, like, I care because specifically he's at the, the top of... At the top saying, like, um... You don't know what love is, right? Because you're you're you don't mean it. I have a simple love. <laughs> what? We know that. We know you're very simple, Adam. Oh my gosh! <laughs> and then like the line, <laughs> the line. I literally just put yes and, <laughs> but not in the improv way. He goes, which I've already read, but you take my hand just to give it back. No other lover has ever done that. Uh huh. Because you only have. You're the problem. Because nobody else has ever turned me down. I was like. I don't like it. Nope. I don't like it. I agree. I also don't like it. Ugh. Disgust. <laughs> Disgusting. Is that all you have to say? Yes. He's gross. Can you help me solve a mystery here? This no. Is, this is a music thing. Okay. It's total music. This, we're done with the lyrics, okay? Adam, go figure your life out, all right? I, ho- I hope you therapy. found someone to love. Yeah, go, go to therapy. Uh, you know, learn, lick your wounds. Learn from your mistakes because you made some. Get back on the market, man. Just try someone else. <laughs> do you know? Do you know about his cheating scandal right now? No. Nope. Over his wife. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> the way that you're talking, like you're like you made some mistakes. Try again. You could just I was like, oh, I don't think he knows. Oh, oh, Adam. 
Oh. Adam. <laughs> you do the research for the show. Yeah, I didn't look that part. The only reason I know about this is because it was adjacent to the Ned Fulmer thing, and they just couldn't get away from it. Everything you need to know about Adam Levine's cheating scandal. Don't click it. I'm not. <laughs> Adam, get some help. <laughs> Adam, we thought you could grow, but I guess not. I think it was something to do with the nanny of his kids. Sorry. It's like, I, a, it's like an Arnold situation? I don't actually know. I try not to pay attention to celebrity gossip because my friends have enough issues. I don't need to know about the lives of people I don't ever intend to meet. Well, I wish him all the best. I hope I hope him and his family can figure this out, and I hope he can get better and, uh, you know, turn turn his life around. Okay? Okay. What was the music mystery? <laughs> I got a music mystery. This is completely unrelated, but I, heard, I was listening to the song, and I heard this part, and I was like... What is that? That part right there. What did that sound like? Does that sound familiar to you at all? Yes, yes it does. Can you place it? Yes, it's this album. I've heard it a million times. No, no. The, I, no I was it does sound like it's something from a show or movie. I was like, what is that? Yeah. What is that? And I was like, dun, 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 dun. and it, it was driving Charlie me and the Chocolate Factory. That's it. The Oompa Loompa song. <laughs> yep. It was driving me crazy. <laughs> and I was like, what is that? I played that little bit like dun, 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 a thousand times. And then I was like, Oompa Loompa. <laughs> it's Willy Wonka. What do you get when, when your you... kid is a brat? <laughs> the mother and the father. That's it. Oh, uh, that's hilarious. Yep. All right. That's uh, that's that's songs about Jane. There's more there. Uh, I think you know we we get more uh, layers to the relationship, but that's the <laughs> they're the same layers. That's the general gist of it. <laughs> Would you recommend songs about Jane? Yeah. Just you know, don't think too hard about the lyrics. <laughs> I'm like, I don't recommend songs I about do. Jane. Um, like, you've heard the songs you like. There's a lot of filler. There's a lot of filler songs, and, and like, you might find like one or two like pretty good songs, like the sun. Yeah, like the sun. <laughs> and through with you, I think is actually like kind of fun to listen to. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, the the, the the I'm like, just listen to the singles if you like that kind of thing. No. Um, okay, well, take her word for it. Listen to it. <laughs> What and then vote for my album as winning for this year. What did the world think? As mentioned, Songs About Jane was a sleeper hit. Despite releasing Summer 2002, the first single, Harder to Breathe, did not reach its Billboard 200 peak until March 2004. So almost two years later. Oh, dang. Yeah. And they didn't get dropped from their label. Good they job. Didn't, yeah. And the album as a whole didn't reach its Billboard 200 peak of number six until September 2004. 26 oh, wow. months after its release. Dang. This is the longest period between an album's release and its initial top 10 appearance since sound scan results were included in the Billboard 200 in 1991. Huh. That's a record. That is a record. And that's why when you hear these songs, you think to yourself, like, they're that old. <laughs> it's like, yeah, man. I, the, to me, this these songs remind me of 2005, like the switch for me between middle school and high school. Mm. Yeah. Not when I was in fifth grade. <laughs> the album reached number one in Australia, France, Ireland, New Zealand, and the UK. And it was certified platinum in Argentina, Australia, Canada, Europe, Ireland, Japan, New Zealand, the UK, and the US. Mm. 
According to Billboard, as of 2022, Songs About Jane is one of the 15 best performing 21st century albums without any of its singles being number one hits on the Billboard Hot 100. Oh, wow. Songs About Jane was generally well received by music critics. All Music, for example, said, quote, Songs About Jane is love drunk on what makes Maroon 5 tick as a band. They've got grit and sexy strut, personally and musically. Oh my gosh. Rolling Stone, meanwhile, praised the album for its, quote, vaguely funky white soul stylings, tunefulness, and vocals. Okay. Vaguely funky white soul. Okay. <laughs> but not everyone was impressed. Well. Pop Matters called songs about Jane, quote, limp at best, <laughs> saying, quote, there's simply nothing here to get excited about. And what about that soul that these guys are boasting about anyway? <laughs> Maroon 5 won Grammy Awards for Best New Artist in 2005 and Best Pop Performance by a Duo or Group with Vocals for This Love in 2006. Songs About Jane also earned the band five ASCAP Pop Music Awards, five BMA Pop Music Awards, three MTV Video Music Awards, two Billboard Music Awards, two Teen Choice Awards, two NRJ Music Awards, two NRJ Radio Awards, two Premios Ole, <laughs> an MTV Asia Award, an MTV Europe Music Award, a World Music Award, and an Environmental Media Award. That's very decorated. Yes. That, I feel like, is the longest stream of things you've said about it. It's a lot of, it's a lot of awards. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And a lot, they were really spread out because it's like... Oh, because it was 26 the months. Al the album came out in 2002. Mm -hmm. Harder to Breathe came out as a single in 2002. They didn't release their next single. I think it was either This Love or She Will Be Loved mm -hmm. until 2004 when the album became a hit. Oh, wow. So... I feel like I'm saying wow a lot. Yeah, so they, they earned... They were earning awards like that whole spectrum huh. until the like album's lifespan had ended, you know, four yeah. years on. And where did Maroon 5 go from here? Because uh, potentially this is the last Mar Maroon 5 album. Oh, yeah. You know, and it's not potential unless you're going to listen to them. Yeah. So this is it. This is it for <laughs> this Maroon is 5. It, guys. This is the end of the road. So I got to tell you where they went from here. And they went, they went places. Maroon 5 toured extensively following the release of Songs About Jane alongside acts like the Donnas, The Red West, Michael Tolcher, Guster, Graham Colton, The Hives, Dashboard Confessional, Matchbox 20, John Mayer, Michelle Branch, Sugar Ray, Counting Crows, and The Rolling Stones. They toured with all those people. I only knew like 11 of those th <laughs> names that you said. I, I have a feeling that he learned those moves from Jagger. Oh, no. <laughs> no. They toured with Jagger. Move. And the Stones. Move on. <laughs> This heavy touring schedule eventually aggravated an old sports injury of drummer Ryan Dusick, forcing him to leave the band in September 2006. He was replaced by former Gavin DeGraw and the B-52's drummer, Matt Flynn. In 2007, the band released their second album, It Won't Be So Soon Before Long, <laughs> which debuted at number one and yielded the number one single, Makes Me Wonder. I don't, I've never heard that song. You, you, uh, you, will, you know it. Like I, had, I, I don't recognize it. From the name, but as soon as I played it, I was like, "Oh yeah, no, listen." Okay, I yeah. believe you. you believe I don't. Me. I've never heard of that album. I, I will play "Make Me Wonder," and you'll be like, "Oh yeah." <laughs> Maroon 5's 2010 album "Hands All Over" was a financial and critical disappointment. Ooh. Until it was re-released a year later to include the number one hit single "Moves Like Jagger." Wow. It was on. It was tacked on after the fact. I mean, you need people to buy the album, I suppose. Yeah, yeah that song premiered 
on the television show The Voice, on which Levine was a coach. Yeah. So he, he him and the band released moves like Jagger as part of The Voice. It mm -hmm. was such a huge hit that they decided to tack it on to the album that was a failure mm -hmm. and re-release the album. And then it was a hit. Yeah. That album has since sold over a million copies and has been certified platinum. Mm -hmm. It worked. And it wouldn't be the last time they do that either. Oh my gosh, seriously? Yeah. Uh, in 2012, keyboardist Jesse Carmichael stepped away from Rune 5 and was replaced by PJ Morton, who had been touring with the band since 2010. The new lineup released the album Overexposed later that year, which received mixed reception from critics for its pop-focused direction, but yielded the number one single, One More Night. Mm. Again, it's a song I didn't recognize oh, no, I know when I heard it. And then when I listened to it, I was like, oh yeah. No, <laughs> In 2013, just as the band was starting work on their fifth album, Five, <laughs> Jesse Carmichael rejoined Maroon 5 and the band officially added longtime collaborator Sam Farrar. Mm -hmm. Five reached number one on the charts and Maroon 5 then entered their car commercial phase. Oh, gosh. <laughs> like literally every hit single they had from this point on was used in car commercials and it's all listed in Wikipedia. I totally get it. Here's the thing. I know you hate it, but I'm like, make those royalties, babe. Like, gotta, I, mean, I get it. You, you <laughs> got to make some money. But literally all of their songs fit the car commercial uh, so well. Car commercial music. You know? I literally have not seen a car commercial since 2008. So <laughs> Maroon 5's latest two albums, 2017's Red Pill Blues and 2010's Jordy, both received mixed reception. Though the band has had one more number one single with 2018 Cardi B remix of Girls Like You. Oh, yeah. That one I don't think I recognize, but. I don't think you do either because you don't really radio. You That's a song you would immediately turn off if you heard it come on the radio. You would switch channels. In 2019, Maroon 5 headlined the Super Bowl halftime show, a performance that was critically panned, mocked online, and largely condemned for taking place amidst the Colin Kaepernick controversy. They were the safe choice. Uh, they said, we don't want to have any any controversial uh, artists to perform the halftime show. A bunch of artists already declined mm -hmm. the invitation. They said, no, we're not performing because you we guys are mistreated not, We're not crossing that picket line. Yes. But Maroon 5, they stepped in and they were made fun of. Well. And in 2020, longtime bassist Mickey Madden left the band following an arrest for alleged domestic violence. Oh. Though the case was later dropped and no charges were filed, so. Make of that what you will. The bass role has since been filled by Farrar. Maroon 5 has sold more than 135 million records, making them one of the world's best-selling musical artists. Yeah. Over the course of their career, the band has received three Grammy Awards, three American Music Awards, three People's Choice Awards, five Teen Choice Awards, and eight Billboard Music Awards. Maroon 5 ranked as the 94th Best Artist of All Time by the Billboard Hot 100 in 2013, and then ranked 37th by the same outlet in 2018. And in 2020, the band was listed number nine on the Billboard Top Artists of the 2010s chart. Hmm. Because they had just so many number ones. Yeah. That's, That's Maroon 5. five. <laughs> I guess the next order of business is who won? I what, did. Was it Dream Theater or Maroon 5? Maroon 5. I think it was Dream Theater. All right, kids. I, this is you. an uphill battle for me. I know we're going to we're gonna give it a tie here on the show. Yeah. We're going to throw it to Twitter and on Instagram with a poll. I know. I know. I'm going to have trouble winning this one. I honestly. But I stand by my choice. That's interesting because I thought I was. I figured that the kids would be on your side more than they would be on my side. Maybe. I don't know. Maroon 5's like their, their uh, 
more well known. The, their especially name, this album. Their name brand is too strong. Yeah, I don't know, but like the strong name brand does bring a lot of haters. So I think this will be interesting to see what uh if any of you kids do vote where you guys land. Yeah, let us know on Twitter and on Instagram which but, album you thought was better. As you know, the only w- not the only way to judge an album is by the songs, but also by pictures. Yes, this is this is true. <laughs> One cannot judge an album by the music alone because albums have album artwork. And we're going to decide which album artwork we thought was better. Did you not like my spiel? You're getting there. All right, so for a dream theater 6 degrees of separation of inner turbulence, it's um it says 6 degrees of inner turbulence dream theater on it in black and red lettering. Um, it's kind of like an out, uh, it's the background is either like, uh, an out of focus graffiti wall or a collection of papers where there's like scribbles and stamps and stuff on it. It looks like the scribble, like scribbles on like the wall of a mental institution, I think is what they were going for. Okay. So scribbles on a wall and some circles and then the dream theater insignia washed out at the bottom. It looks like maybe blood stained on the left there. Yeah. It's really ugly. It's not It's not pretty. It's definitely of the time. Like, I feel like this is a very 2002 album cover. You know, yeah. It's like sketchy and I will say edgy. it's definitely way more simplistic than most of their other stuff. So, and uh, most of their other stuff really kind of like hurts my eyes to look at. It's a lot going on. And songs about Jane? Um, It is a black and red. Would you say that's red? Yeah. Yeah. A black and maroon, red cover. Maroon even? maroon even um it says maroon five at the top and there is a woman figure who is naked with hair cascading all down her so you can't really see her holding pandora's box or a record player like a like a small record player nope pandora's box there is black coming out of it and that is all the bad things in the world or in this relationship is that jane yes the song's about her the songs are indeed about her she's got flowers in her hair that's a lyric. Is it? I think so, yeah. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, Maroon 5 had a better album cover. I yeah, feel like it it's did. very iconic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's just like, it's got a very, like, I don't know, it's just like the cartoony. Mm-hmm. I like that style. Like yeah. That, that, that cartoon style right there. Yeah. So, yeah, good job, Maroon 5. You won something. <laughs> I mean, you we just went through things. their history. They, they won many things. Yeah. Um, but now I guess we can talk about. Runners up. Yeah. So uh, if my album was not Dream Theater and Jess's album was not Maroon 5, we could talk about what they could have been. Well, for you, it could have been uh, Smashing Live by New Japan Philharmonic. So Smashing Live by the Japan New Philharmonic. Oh, did I put that wrong? You know, we were talking about it not being New Japan. It it is New New Japan. Japan. It's New Japan Philharmonic. It's an orchestra. That is an orchestration of the soundtrack to Super Smash Brothers Melee. (laughs) Oh, wow. It was so funny. This was a middle school album, too. Mm-hmm. I was, I, I think I was just like at lunch in middle school, like outside on the quad. And an old friend of mine named Kyle walks up to me. And I, you know, Kyle and I had been like, we were, we were friends in like elementary school. And like, we were sort of like acquaintances in middle school. Mm-hmm. You know, we had grown apart because we just didn't have classes together. But he's like, hey, Rod, you, you like Smash Brothers, right? And I was like, yeah, here, take this. And he hands me a burned CD. In a CD case. That feels like a moment from a video game. And I put it in. It is full orchestrations of most of the songs from Super Smash Brothers Melee. And I listened to that CD so like a lot, <laughs> like in the house and stuff. You yeah. Know? And then 
over time, like I, those those songs never made it onto my iPod and my iPhone. So mm-hmm. for, so Dream Theater, you know, overtook them. But that yeah. is a close number two <laughs> because that 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 chance meeting it with Kyle opened your eyes. And Thanks, Kyle. Uh, freaking Super Smash Brothers has some good freaking music in there. Like the, I'll take your word the, for or, it. The, the, the arrangement of uh, Zelda 2's uh, palace theme is top tier. <laughs> S tier. <laughs> you say so, Mr. Lord. We could have also been listening to Coheed and Cranbia's The Second Stage Turbine Blade. So that is uh, the, the debut album from Coheed and Cambria. A band I like... I enjoy. I think they're okay. Mm-hmm. Um, the only reason, like, th- their albums all tell a story, you know? So mm-hmm. I, like, when I was getting into them, I felt the need to, like, kind of listen to all the songs because mm-hmm. like, and the, the story is, like, nonsense. Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't make any sense at all. It's, like, gibberish. <laughs> so I don't I don't know what the story's even about. Unlike the stories in uh, Maroon 5, which was very clear. Yeah. But I have I have listened to Coed and Cambria's, most of their discography all the way through at least once. Hmm. So I've heard that album all the way through at least once. Sweet. Jordan Rudis's for NYC was also an option. Yep. So Jordan Rudis is the keyboardist in Dream Theater. We've talked about him. Uh, this was a solo album. It was a pian- like a very mellow piano album. And it was basically a tribute album to New York City after 9-11. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. his 9-11 tribute album. So it's very pretty, very somber. Uh, and I think, you know, this is a way for a New Yorker to cope with the, the, the yeah. pain of 9-11. Yeah. Mm. Also, there is Symphony X, The Odyssey. Symphony X is a contemporary of Dream Theater, also progressive metal. And The Odyssey, you want to take a guess on what The Odyssey is? Is it about The Odyssey? Yep. It is a (laughs) symphonic progressive metal adaptation of Homer's Odyssey. Wow. Is it good? Yes. (laughs) And the song itself is massively long. It's one song? Well, yeah. The Odyssey is one song. I think just like Dream Theater, they cut it into tracks. But Rod... It wasn't down with that. He spliced them all together Ugh. in premiere. Thank you, God, for that not being our song to talk about. Well, for me, if we weren't listening to Maroon 5, we could have been listening to Simple Plans, No Pads, No Helmets, Just Balls. <laughs> just Balls. Sim- uh, simple Plan, that's a 2002 band yeah, right it's there. It's only because of Perfect. It's only because of that song. I'm sure I've heard it. Yeah. Um, it had me feel straight in my dad guilt. <laughs> so it's like that, that pop punk emo stuff right there. Yeah. Well, that soup. My sweet spot. They were also, they were big on MySpace. Simple plan. Yeah. I believe you. Yep, them in uh, some 41. And then the name sounds familiar. Um, I could have also been listening to Ashanti's Ashanti, which is her self-titled album uh you've never heard of ashanti i've heard of ashanti okay good maybe i've heard an ashanti song i definitely have see my days are cool without you no okay well you've definitely heard it because i've been in the car with you uh and i started singing it and you like let it play but you probably ignored it um uh did not choose it because uh i mostly listened to that because radio play and i think like some cousins um also, Avril Lavigne's Let Go, I did definitely listen to a couple of tracks off that album. Is that the one with Complicated? Mm-hmm. And I believe so. Skater Boy? Yes. And Happy Ending is also on that, I believe. There you go. Um, I could I, be wrong. Talk about 2002. Right there. Avril Lavigne. Avril Lavigne. Uh, and then we also could have been listening to Traps. Trapped. Uh, with Headstrong. With Headstrong. I, I owned that album. I listened to it a lot. It not anywhere near as much as uh, Maroon 5, 
Uh, but Trapped is such a, I was telling you a story about, one of my, like, the memories of Trapped and Headstrong, specifically on that album, two things. One, it was played in every commercial for Charmed. It just was. I don't know why, but it was. Charmed, you know Charmed? Charmed? Headstrong? No. Charmed, the, the three witches. I've heard, I've heard of it. Okay, well, I'm going to make you watch uh, an ad with them. <laughs> it's okay. ridiculous. But also, I would sing that song. I remember specifically singing it in home ec. Because um, somebody was talking about it, and I was just like, oh, I love it. And this was seventh grade, maybe? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, you told me this story. I did tell you this story. And um, I was like, headstrong to take on anyone. And the boy turns to me, it's rock. You don't sing it, idiot. Luckily, I was not Rodney, and <laughs> I did not turn around away from music for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that hurt. That hurt random guy whose face I still remember, even if I don't remember your name. <laughs> that's all. Good job, jerk. <laughs> anyway, that's all the runners up, right? That is all the runners up. All right. So uh, let's go out with some plugs. All right. If you liked the show and you want to support Media Made, you can buy us a coffee on coffee.com. That's ko-fi.com slash Media Made. And you can send us five dollars. Uh, keep the keep the lights on here at the Media Mate Studio. Yeah, we appreciate that. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at Media Mate Show, where we will post those polls, and you can settle the score. Was it Dream Theater or was it Maroon Five? Yeah. Then uh, we will also probably be posting uh, pictures and videos, performances, you know, commercials from Charmed, maybe. <laughs> yeah. What is <laughs> trapped? Yeah, you know. Uh, it, it, that, that's that's all that fun stuff's up there. Yeah. You could also help the show by leaving a review on iTunes or your podcast platform of choice, leaving us five star. Uh, all that stuff helps us out. You can follow me personally on Twitter at Rob the Master. Uh, as long as I'm still there, I might be leaving Twitter soon. I don't know yet. <laughs> mm. Bugging the heck out of me. Yeah. Uh, I also host a you uh, I host a YouTube show called Keep Kayfabe. It's K A Y F A B E. It is a sh- it is a YouTube show about professional wrestling. So if you like wrestling, check that out. I also write for a video game website called ZeldaDungeon.net. So like Zelda, you can check that out. If you would like to find who I am, you can't. I hide very good. But if you would like to know the things that I do outside of this, I have a YouTube called Taming Tales. You can find it on YouTube. <laughs> uh, and anything that you need to find out about us that is available for public distribution, you can go to the show notes and uh, go to our link tree where you will find all the things that we are up to and what we are doing. Yeah, check that out. Yeah. Okay, uh, so we I was going to close out the show with this love because it's like the most overplayed Maroon 5 song out there. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, but uh, you suggested something even better. <laughs> What are we closing out with? This Love by G-Dragon. What is G-Dragon? G-Dragon is one of the members of a band that I really, really loved in 2007 called Big Bang. They are a K-pop group. So this is the K-pop cover or adaptation. It's really. adaptation. It's, it's like it's a reimagining a of this love. Yeah, it's a rap song. <laughs> so it's Big Bang's This Love. Yeah. We're going to close out with that. It'll be fun. And uh, we will see you all next time with our TV of 2002. And remember, kids, if you have to snoop, swoop. It would be better to swoop.
90s, no, yes, say, get hold 